Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is preparing for his birthday extravaganza from a bunker. This is round seven, turn two, and I've got the philosophical gamer Dimitri with me. Hello, everybody. Happy Memorial Day. And he's brought a friend. The enthusiastic gamer Ben is also here. Hello, boys. Hi, what's going on? Doing good, doing good. Anybody have plans for Memorial Day weekend? <laughs> oh, yeah, barbecues, beach. I'm going to a big, big concert. Yeah. I'm just going to, like, swirl around without a mask and try to inhale all the fresh air that's out there. That's, uh, are you allowed to do that? I don't think we're allowed to do that. Mm, no, I'm going to be in my apartment doing what I do like doing most, being in my apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah. This isn't getting old. Not at all. But. It's important. So, by the way, New York I, State is, is allowing gatherings of up to ten people for any reason, so gamers can game in hey, New York State. Hey, welcome. Uh, okay, uh, I think that being game brain, let's use our brains and say maybe just because you're suddenly allowed to do something, it might not. You know, I wouldn't want to be an early adopter on this. I'd want to wait just a mm-hmm. little bit and see how things go. Me personally. I just think, you know, there's, yeah, I'm, it's going to seesaw, right? Isn't it? Probably. Um, uh, I, I'll just put it this way. I am very happy in my apartment. I've actually been really enjoying my quarantine experience. I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky that everything I really need is right here. And I've been playing my virtual board games. Um, I have, you know, I work from home as it is. So my life, I'm very fortunate, has really not been that disrupted. So I'm just going to hang out here. And I'll just see how it goes for everyone else. And, um, you know, um, you know, I, we, well, we will, will be see. your canaries in a coal mine. We will be your <laughs> guinea pigs. Or at least I will be. <laughs> I had a conversation with one of with, I will just oh, go ahead and watch. I had a conversation with one of my agents this week, and we were talking about how we're all faring. And I said, my life really hasn't changed all that much. He said, yeah, I'm pretty much telling everybody we're all screenwriters now. <laughs> we're all just mm-hmm. locked, locked up in a room somewhere. <laughs> Every, or, or a podcaster. Right? Like yes. pod, it was originally the great, everyone's going to write their great American novel. Then it became the great American screenplay. Then it became the great American blog. And now with great American podcast. So here we are. Here we are, walking, talking stereotypes. Um, We are going to be talking today about the 2002 release. Oh my goodness, ancient history, Age of Steam by Martin Wallace. Darn it. Martin Wallace, that's who it's by. It doesn't matter what the rule book says, it's by Martin Wallace, okay? And we're going to talk also about the evangelizing of games. That is uh, Dimitri's philosophical gamer topic of the week. Well, guys, let's get right to it. Let's talk about this week's game night. We almost 
almost have to change the segment because we don't have a game night anymore. We play games over the course of the week and not everybody is in each session and it's it's all kind of uh, bifurcated, isn't it? Dimitri, what games did you play this week? Age of Steam. Played two games of Age of Steam. Whoop, whoop. We played the <laughs> oh. uh, Michigan map and like Midwestern map. And we Rust played... Belt. It's called uh, Rust Belt. It's the original map that came with Age of Steam. Yes. Oh, cool. And we also played the Southern England map. Yeah. Uh, ben, what about you? What did you play this week? I've actually been playing a lot. Um, I'll, you know, I, aside from Age of Steam, gearing up for this, uh, you know, we've been playing some Smartphone Inc., uh, mm-hmm. which will be on, on a review in a future episode. Um, and I've also been playing a bunch of other interesting games on, uh, on a cross- Board game arena or a tabletop simulator, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I recently got back and I, I played Castell, which I hadn't played in forever, no. uh, which is a really great, thinky, spatially game that that ha- flew right onto the radar. It's a great game and it's really, really thinky. So that was really fun to reconnect with that. I played Thunder Alley, which I have wait, not wait, played wait, in hang on a second. Years. I don't know Castell. Who who designed it? What is it? Tell tell me a little more about it. Um, Castell is designed by I believe his name is I think Andrew. I feel like it's a it's a Dutch name. It's like Vander Vander something or another. Vander yeah, oh, sorry, Aaron Vanderbeek. Vanderbeek. Um uh and you know, in fact, I'll just sit and talk about Castell for this. Uh, Castell is a game where you are um creating sort of like a troop of Castellers. Castellers, um, it is the Catalonian tradition of of human <laughs> stacking you human towers yes. you may have seen it like maybe on the amazing race perhaps i, I feel like it was probably there or just any who knows where they're but getting, it's they're a getting flags tradition. off of the top of a pole and things like that is that correct yeah it's basically like like people yeah they try to it's like a sport of like who can make the tallest human pyramid kind of it's not a pyramid but it's basically like people standing on each other's shoulders things we and don't so, do now Things, well, this is a current, this is, this happens, you, you, if, if coronavirus weren't happening, I'm pretty sure that there would still be um, these festivals happening in Spain. So, AIM has you, the, you have a little, you have, there's a map where you can go to different regions of Spain, like Valencia, Barcelona, etc. And you go from place to place, and you are picking up members for your troop. And the members have different sizes. So, oh. they range from size one. Which are the small, little, small, sort of small framed people, uh, light, perhaps delicate. <laughs> I don't know if they're delicate, but they're small. And they're <laughs> Not be Americans. The, the top of your of your tower. Small, so small anyways, guys, medium guys, you, big guys. <laughs> yeah, you, so you gather them, one to ten, and what happens is, um, starting I think with around three or so, um, you, there are these festivals where you get to now. It's like okay, guys, time to make your time to make the the human pyramid, and. Um, you have these human pyramids and there's rules like uh, and you take these guys you actually arrange them in your play area you put like you know your lower numbers on the bottom usually and the higher numbers at the top so you might have like a row of uh sevens followed by a row of of fours and then and then a row of then like maybe a one on the top you know and it's got to be like three two one something like that are these meeples or these cards what are these they're actually little. They're rectangular. They're they're rectangular pieces, mm-hmm. and they are they're sized a little bit differently. And so, what you're doing is you're taking these jets, right? Uh, and you are arranging them, and you make your you actually making a, a pyramid because they have, you know, pictures of people on them, not pictures, drawings, you know. Mm-hmm. So you actually, it, when you're playing it in person, you look. It feels like you actually are making a little human pyramid. Um, 
but the thing is, there's all these, um, there's, there's a whole, I, it's hard to even describe it, but the rules are actually very simple in the game, but it is, uh, it is really a very, very impressive puzzle because, um, there are ways that you can break all the rules of, of human pyramid building, right? Cause the originally it's like your pyramid can never be wider than I think three people. Um, and it can never like, uh, smaller people have to be on top of bigger people and you can never have like a mix of bigger and smaller people in the same row. I think there are all these, there's those bunch of like sort of basic rules. Mm-hmm. And as you play the game, you're trying to train your troop to become stronger, to have this, this quality or that quality that breaks all those rules. And by breaking those rules, you can start to make really big and really, uh, interesting shaped uh human pyramids that ultimately get you more points and how you do that how you manipulate your your skills Mm -hmm. um mixed with how you actually build your pyramid mixed with having to go to these regions to get the people and to be in the right region at the right time for the festival that you need to be in it is it really is very very fun and i'm happy to report that the tabletop simulator implementation uh, it is really good. It really works well for it. So um, I think it's a really great one for people to uh, explore. Cool. I, I'm down to check that out. Uh, you were about to uh, cut you off before you mentioned another game that you were playing. What, what was oh, that? I was just saying I, I played Thunder Alley for the first time in, in years, which was fun to reconnect with. It's like a NASCAR game. And I've been playing Concordia and Hansa Teutonica. And also my friend introduced me to Dice Hospital, which, um, you know, yeah. going on. Uh, I, I hadn't played it before, and I sort of was thinking, oh, Dice Hospital, and I had a blast with it. It was so fun. Did you? Yeah. I, I, uh, we played that. We demoed it at Essen, and uh, I thought it was good, not great. I thought it had a lot of potential, but it, it, it never quite dealt with that. We'll see. Um, Alban Viard yeah, was- has a game called Clinic that uh, he's mm, sending me that. right now. Which sounds like it's going to be the meteor, yeah. heavier gamers game version of that to some degree. So I'm looking forward uh, to checking out. Jennifer brought Hansa Teutonica yeah. into our game night um, a couple of times in a row before we broke for the coronavirus recess. Uh, and I actually enjoyed reacquainting myself with it. Uh, ben, what yeah, about you? so good. I love it. It's one, of, it's one of my favorite games. It's like, I always call it my uh, sort of like, a uh, summer cabin game. Like I imagine if I were <laughs> like, if I like rented a cabin with some friends and we had, you know, brought a game, we, that's the sort of game you can sort of play over and over again over the course of a weekend. I think it's, it's an absolutely fantastic game. I know there's some discussion over like, um, you have to play the Britannia map or this map. Britannia map is really cool, but like, honestly, the base map is fantastic. It is, it is an excellent, excellent game, minimal rule set, a board that is essentially static uh, to start with, and it always produces interesting outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of agree that that for me, I don't think that there's one map you have to play, but I do think the base map has an issue, and that issue is that the um, the space that gives you more actions in almost every game is going to be a very desirable, more highly mm-hmm. sought after place than anything else, and in most of the other maps beyond the base map, 
it is put in a place where the only thing you're getting is that. Whereas in the base game, there are other advantages to that that space and that area. And it's as, overpowered basically. as well. And it is a little meaning that's close to the key, the key area. Is that why it, it's it's central. You can yeah, there, there's yeah there, there's a lot of advantages yep. to playing just heavily that way. And it it it's a little less nuanced than some of the other the other maps where you really have to make slightly harder decisions in the in the early game as to where to go and what to do. But I'd love how we yeah it's yeah that's split i I know what you're saying i Mm -hmm. think it in my mind i think it's a little bit splitting hairs but i I do agree that britannia the britannia map like really i felt like up like i I was actually surprised how much that map could could like raise hansa Titanica, but it Mm -hmm. really did yeah that being said i think the base map like you know it is i still think it's excellent it's also a good travel game. You don't think about it because it's got a board mm-hmm. and everybody thinks board, you know. But the number of pieces in the game, the number of uh, other things besides that board that you keep, there's so few. It's just, it's those so sm- few. small little cardboard boards, just a few tiny little cubes, really, when it gets right down to it and, and, and circles. It flat packs super easy and super light. I played it with Paul, Alfred, uh, Matt uh, Matt Patterson and myself we in pl- Japan. Yes, we did. We played it in Osaka. That's exactly right. So that was one of the, one of those games that um, you, it's a cabin game for you. For me, it's a travel game. For me, it's it's yeah. uh, one of the meteor it's, games you can bring with you anywhere. Yeah, it's 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 such an excellent game, and the fact that it basically comes down to table meta, I think. Uh, is mm. every single time. I mean, you could make an argument that most games do, but and really with Haunted Tatanica, it's all about this. It's it's such a dynamic game. I, the the game I most recently played, um, basically, um, I plopped my big old circle. I think that's the merchant yeah. right in that Actionis place, and then um, and so then that affected how who how people like oh do I really want to kick that thing out? And then someone tried to. Someone put offices up by the by the bag and by the color section, so that any time that we would try to go for those skills, they would just get points. So we just the rest of the table just stopped going for those skills, and then totally changed the entire dynamic of the game. And that's what's really cool about it is that like you do one thing, and the players will always react to it mm-hmm. and force out different strategies. And for the first time in like seven years, I finally did the thing where I connected the city on the left to the city on the right and got those seven points. I'd never done that before. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty rare win condition, especially on the base map. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, it was very exciting. Not bad, not bad. Uh, gentlemen, let's move on to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Novelist, Alvin Ervin, all the tips and clippers and see, let's go to press flat. First up in news is some board game arena news. If if we had to pick one place to play our online games, I'm pretty sure we'd be unanimous that we would all prefer to play on board game arena if we could. The fact that everything is automated, it just makes the game so much easier uh, uh, to play. But there are no backseas. You cannot redo your mm. turn. Uh, that's not true. Some some of the games in there have backseas, but I not don't... Keyflower. No, not Keyflower. No, but guess what? I think it's good for us to get used to no backseas. I think we, uh, I think we may may do that too liberally in our gaming group. Our gaming meta may may do that that way. Uh, so the news is is uh, we have a couple games that we can tell you are coming down the pike and are soon to be released on Board Game Arena. Teotihuacan is yes. uh, has sought out beta play testers. 
and is well on its way to being released on the platform. It's and, a great game. And now so excited for that. Yeah. And now City of, of the Big Shoulders, one of Ben's favorite games from last year. Me too. Yeah. Is uh, I love it too. I, I just not it's not as high up on my list as it is on your guys' you know, list. Yeah, Tom, I reviewed both of those games last year. That's, as part of this podcast. That so is true. You someone is listening. They listened. Yes. I think Board Game Arena was listening and they said, you know, we want to really corner that Dimitri Portnoy audience on our platform. <laughs> they're going for me, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they're asking for um, they're asking for alpha testers right now, which uh, tells me that, yeah, you know, it, it may be a little while before they get out there, but they're they're working on that. They're efforting that as we speak. I think it's a great idea. I think any publisher, any game designer that is not trying to put out mods for their game on these popular platforms is missing out that it's 100%. you know that we're it may be a while it may be quite some time before things get actually back to normal you know there there may be um you know we're in new york you're allowed to get together with 10 people does that for mean any every, reason does for that, any reason does that mean everybody's going to be gaming together i don't think that that's the way it's going to work and i'm not sure that yeah. that that uh, guidance won't change in and of itself. In, Maybe in a they'll while. be building human pyramids. Maybe well, listen. I, think, I would love yeah. nothing. <laughs> I would love nothing more for this uh, for this virus to disappear, never reappear again, and for everything to get back to normal super quick. But uh, I don't think that's that doesn't appear to be what the smart money is betting on right now. And so uh, I, I, I'm going to go with that and say, get these online implementations going. It's just yeah. good to be able to to game with people like Alfred. You know, people who. Yeah, um, abandoned us well, really, for lack of a better term. For Austin. <laughs> well, actually, it has been. I will say one of the perks for me has been playing these online games. I've been playing with friends who have since moved away from LA or, or friends who are in New York, in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, Tr- you know, triggers. when we played smartphone, Tom, earlier earlier this week, uh, yeah. those the, the two guys that we're playing with were up in the Bay Area, and they were part of my game group that when they lived down here. So it has the the, the silver lining has been being able to play with these people from across the country like or like like alfred for instance yeah. um that's really cool but ultimately enough never ever ever replaces the real life no experience and i just hope that more game publishers don't view board game arena and or even tabletopia or tabletop simulator as competition and view it more as marketing tools because right now Yep. They're basically would be exposing their game to lots of people. And I, I, I would like to touch base with my friend Matt because my friend Matt designed that game, um, The King's Guild, which he released on Kickstarter. I think it did nicely. Uh, it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun game, but he got it onto Board Game Arena a few months ago. And now, you know, people are I, – I would like to see how having his game on Board Game Arena has raised its profile because I, I can only imagine that it's – like it's raised it a lot and that probably after this is all over a lot of people will probably want to buy it indie publishers are uh, being told being advised that the best way to uh, approach a career in publishing is to essentially take your first book and give it away for free essentially yeah. what you're doing with that first book or at least for a lot of the time you're building an audience that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose of that. Then you start selling people on, on future books. Some authors will actually r- create a novella specifically to be a free giveaway to get people on their mailing list to start to build yeah. an audience and do that like sort drug, of stuff. Like drug dealers. The Your first, first taste hit, is free. free and then, 
<laughs> well, honestly, look at hip hop. I mean, you got you have a lot of hip hop artists who rise up first by releasing mixtapes, you know, yep. which I think are I think are generally free. Yeah. Um. So you know, you know, that's just it's it's all about building the audience. And uh, Board Game Arena right now is, is I think where where it's at. So I'm so I and let me not underscore how excited I am that both of these games are coming to Board Game Arena, especially City of the Big Shoulders. Which I love, and there's there's no way to play it right now mm-hmm. uh, online. At least Teotihuacan, you can play it on Tabletopia, which I actually have not done yet. But City of Big Shoulders, I really really enjoy it, and I really want to play it some more. So I've I already volunteered myself to be an alpha tester. I don't know if I'll be accepted, but I'm I'm throwing myself in there and throwing my bra up on the stage. Did you, and did you, you are the real alpha print? in my book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's the first time I've ever heard that. Next up in news, we have the Spiel des Jahres Awards have been announced. On this very strange year, it has been announced that uh, there are three nominees for the Spiel des Jahres, along with some other uh, six titles that are also rans or recommended, we can call it. And then there's the Kenner Spiel des Jahres. So uh, for the few people listening to the podcast that don't know what this is, I'm virtually certain that almost everybody in the game brand audience knows what this is. But if you don't, it's kind of the Oscars of the hobby board game world. It is the biggest award of the year. It's the oldest award, or at least one of the oldest awards. Um, and it goes out every year to the to a game. And when, when the Spiel des Jahres logo goes on your game, that increases the sales often considerably. Um, but the thing we have to remember is that Spiel des Jahres tends to be awards for family games. They're for broader market games, not, you know, not Monopoly, not Sorry, nothing like that. They're still hobby games, but they're, they're, they tend to be considerably lighter than the types of games that our group plays. Games that yeah. play faster, games that tend to play in 60 minutes to 90 minutes, um, and yep. with a lot of like colorful, cardboardy, tiley components and uh, very little reliance on language. Exactly right. Exactly. So with that in mind, but the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, that was created later on to be more like, okay, what if people want to dip their toe into the deeper end of the pool? What are games that we can recommend that way? What what award can we give for slightly heavier games um, that are not aimed at the family market particularly? So those games tend to be a little more uh, our neck of the woods. But let's go through, first of all, the three nominees for the Spiel des Jahres. It is My City by Reiner Knizia, Nova Luna by Uwe Rosenberg and Corne van Morsel. I may have butchered that name. And Pictures <laughs> by Daniela and Christian Storr. All right. So um, My City is kind of interesting, actually. Of the three, it's the one that's the most interesting to me. It is Reiner Knizia, who is one of my favorite designers. He is the the, the good doctor, math, uh, PhD in mathematics, has designed probably more hobby games than anybody else. He's just a, a monster that just keeps turning out game after game after game. And, you know, had a bit of a lull where started to produce so many games that the quality kind of dropped. But still, you look over his career, he's got so many amazing games. He's got... Uh, through the desert, he's got samurai. He's got modern art. He's got um, 
uh, Taj Mahal. He's got um, he, he, so many. He's like the Woody Allen of, of game design, just turning out another like uh, classic movie every year, but then having some very, very, very serious mishits. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's not a bad. Minus maybe some of the pro- maybe maybe minus some of the problematic Woody Allen elements. Let's just take that part out. Also, <laughs> yes, we uh, we I can't speak. Well, to, we don't know. Can't speak to the Good Doctor's private life. In no way, shape, or form can we talk about that. <laughs> but my city is a game that uh, you are building a city on your own map. Everybody is building a city on their own map. Cards are turned over. Everybody has the same set of 16, 20 polyominoes. By polyominoes, we just mean shapes. Tetris shapes, essentially, is kind of what we're talking about here. And it is a, it's designed to be a campaign game where there are eight levels, and each level has three games in it. So the first game, it's just everything on your map that isn't forest, you want to fill up with these polyominoes as best you can. Everything that you don't fill up is minus one point, basically. And there are a few trees, the lone tree, lone little tree groves out there. And if you can leave those uh, untouched, they're worth plus two points and so on and so forth. So you try to get your best score there. Then the next round... The fact that the buildings have three different color schemes um, it, it comes into play because you're going to get points, positive points, for every building of the same color touching each other or something along those lines. Then the next one, they introduce a new element. Uh, you're going to put wells down on the map. And wherever these wells are, you want four different buildings touching this one little square. And if you can do that, you're going to get four points each time you do that. So... To call it a legacy game, to call it a, a campaign mode, might be a bit of a stretch. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle puzzle that you build onto, basically, right? That's neat. Yeah, yeah. And I like the fact that for people that like those simple games, that like games like uh, Patchwork or things like that, Uwe Rosenberg games, really, um, you know, Uwe Rosenberg's lighter stuff, um, these are games that are, uh, this is a, a kind of interesting take on it. And supposedly you're going from prehistoric times up to the modern era. There, there's nothing wrong with people who like these games, Tom, right? We don't look down on these games or the people who like them. Just want to make sure. I mean, if one was to do that, one would, what could one call one that other than a gatekeeper? Yes. And yes. as we all know, we have to be careful about being gatekeepers and we have to avoid that when we can. No, there's absolutely nothing wrong about it. That's why I'm talking. Listen, I am spending a lot of time on this podcast talking about a game that we will never play. Why am I doing that? I'm I'm doing that because I actually think it's quite an interesting design. I think that it combines very light and easy mechanics with a repeatable playability and sort of a campaign aspect to it that might be something that a lot of lighter gamers never get a chance to try. Like, like what, what is a super light game that has a campaign element? And I don't know. I don't know one. Certainly not. A he was tw- that. Well, he, there's the what, fa- uh, fabled fruit, whatever. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, this is 24 different episodes that get progressively harder as it goes. So it kind of scales up to some degree. I think that's very interesting. I think that's, I'm, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. And I also feel like, um, Given that there was this whole big legacy boom, um, I'm still waiting for a proper legacy city building game. And I don't think that Charterstone counts uh, because uh, admittedly, I never played it. But from what I gather, Charterstone was billed as a legacy city building game. But it was more just about like you just put like a thing down. Like I'm talking about a real 
city building game where uh, the buildings that you put down and how their 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 proximity to each other and all this stuff it, it makes it feel like you're building an actual city and then at the end you can look out down at a whole city and be like wow over all these sessions we developed you know this is my version of los angeles uh that's what I would love, and it seems like this is sort of like a, a sort of kind of like a, a, a light version of that. I think infill would be a, a great topic for the game, where, where you're mm. uh, in, in, uh, building onto existing neighborhoods and redeveloping possibly blighted neighborhoods yeah. rather than growing out from the center, uh, and and all the uh, topics associated with that, in, including unfair displacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eminent yeah. domain and so on and yeah, so forth. Yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. a, a tray if you're listening. Uh, I'll go one step farther. Uh, set it in ancient Rome. You're going to sell a whole bunch of copies. Set it during the the reigns of Nero and the guys around there. You know the great uh, Roman fire that oh, Nero sure. was blamed that Nero blamed on the Christians. Um, that was very suspicious because he had these huge plans to redevelop a about a third of the city and utterly change it. And what neighborhoods happen to burn down in the Great Fire? Almost exactly those neighborhoods. So there's mm. a, uh, Rome is shady. an amazing uh, legacy uh, game, uh, campaign game yeah. uh, theme. The building of Could Rome. literally call it Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> ben, can, I, I cannot improve on that. You won the podcast. Oh you won this episode right there. Awful. But I. I but for me personally, I enjoy my city building games to be current. I, I like I like modern city games. But regardless, that's not what we're talking about. But that okay. was my little two cents on that. There you go. Uh, the second game that was nominated was Nova Luna. Nova Luna is an Uwe Rosenberg design. And it is a, an, how do we put it? It's a tile laying game. So another it, one. Yes, yes. Well, so, they really don't go for variety, do they? Well, Uva, Uva kind of cornered the market on this with patchwork and, uh, and and going forward from patchwork. There's a lot of games that uh, Uva has done that really have done different things. He has a game called Habitats, and this game seems a lot like Habitats. I think it's going to play very well. It plays one to four players. I think it's going to play very well at the two-player count. So I think it might make a really good couples game. If you are looking for a couples game that is light, that plays in 30 minutes to an hour at most, um, and is kind of eye-catching, take a look. Watch a, watch a video review and see if Nova Luna might be for you. And then the third nominee is a game called Pictures. Uh, Pictures is by designers that uh, that I don't really know too much, uh, but the idea is kind of interesting. There is going to be uh, sixteen cards laid out, and each player is simulta- simultaneously trying to copy uh, a picture with one of these five different elements: building blocks, sticks and stones, icon cards, color cubes, or rope. And then after this, each player has to decide which one of the 16 displayed pictures you were trying to draw. So it's, it's I have a tremendously limited uh, artistic resource, and I'm trying to get people to guess that I was going for this versus, versus that. So much more. That of a, sounds fun, actually. It does. That actually sounds to me the most fun of, those, of the batch. Yeah. I mean, it, it, listen. I would say that my city is is a strategy game, a very light strategy game. I would say that pictures is much more of a party game, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it, it it fits that mode. But I, I think it sounds really interesting. I, I would like to check that out sometime. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of the mindset that 
um, a light strategy game can be super fun and, and very enjoyable, but I almost would rather have a heavy strategy game versus a light one. I'd rather have a, a more of a party game uh, because a light strategy game will give me an itch of what I want, but not not fully what what I want. Uh, whereas a party game is a party game, and that's I know what I'm getting into. But I mean, I, I'd probably be happy with all of them. Got it. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I'm <laughs> into the In case the jury aspect. was wondering uh, how I feel, uh, that's there. There you go. Official I want to know. I do. <laughs> we don't. We don't not want to know this. Um, and then we should also mention what is in the Kennerspiel de Jar, considering that is more our bread and butter. Cartographers, mm. a role player tale, uh, the crew, and the king's dilemma. Um, cartographers. I have a bone to pick. Please do. With cartographers. That should be a Spiel de Jahres nomination. That should not be Kennerspiel. I'm sorry. Completely agree. It's a very fun game. Uh, have you guys played it before? Uh, yeah, I don't like I don't like rolling rights or drawing rights or any of that sort of stuff. I, I tend not to like those games. So, I, but I did try yeah. cartographers once, and I was like, eh. it it definitely. I totally that was exactly what I was about to say. It belongs on the lighter side. Yeah, that that to me is ridiculous. That that it makes me angry because I feel like there is a game that is like that that matches the category that that probably got well that lost a spot that really could have used it. I think that cartographers. I enjoyed it. I'm like you. Rolling rights don't really do much for me, but I, as a rolling right, I did enjoy it. I thought it was lovely. Um, I had a fun time with my friends playing it. But that is like it is so beyond like a obvious choice for Spiel DRs. I do not know how it got to Kenner Spiel. I, you know, I'm I, I. It's it's crazy to me. Would you like to know what the runners up were that were not selected for the uh, for the official nomination? I sure do. They were Paladins of the West Kingdom, Race Arcana, and Underwater Cities. None of them nominated for the Kennerspiel de Jar, but singled out for mm, special mention. Of those three, I don't like two of them, but <laughs> I would I would gladly put any of those three in Cartographer's Place because I think they, uh, they fit the category much better. I played Race Arcana with Matt a few times. Uh, Matt is a huge fan of it. Um, I enjoy it. I think it's a 30-minute game where you have to roll with the punches and, and make lemonade out of lemons. Um, it's it's a great uh, kind of brain burning thing where you're trying to deal with whatever comes your way and make the best of it. I mean, for me, it feels a little light for the Kennerspiel de Jahres. It feels a, a little light for the uh, Spiel de Jahres. I, I think wow. because uh, the theme kind of throws you. I'm just joking. It's all dragons and witches and spells <laughs> I and don't like wizards. that theme. You're right. You're absolutely right. I do not like that, that, that theme. He raved about the art. I don't like the art. I don't like it. I don't wow. think it's that, that great. Wow. Shots but fired. Shots they're, fired. They're, Sorry. Swords, swords swung. There, <laughs> are, um, there I, are resources. I, there are cast. cards. Uh, there are engines. There are mechanisms. There are ways to mm. deflect. There are ways to attack and defend against other players. This is a very versatile game. Cards only play and, and bits, plastic bits. But it's a card game that plays in 30 minutes and feels real. Yeah, I, I I'm cool. I, I'm cool with that. I would pick under category. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I would pick under what like Golden Globes vibes. Yeah, Golden Globes vibes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so, so you think the Hollywood I'm getting golden press? You know, like you know when a, you know when a movie winds up in the in the comedy or musical ter- category, and you're like, this is not a comedy or a musical. Mm-hmm. But you got in here because someone lobbied for it. Yep. Uh, that's how I really feel about cartographers here. How is this the same category that uh, previous nominees are like Terraforming Mars or Heaven and Ale, or you have Underwater Cities as like a honorable mention, and then cartographers gets a spot? It's you know, we're, 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 was, was Johnny Depp and, <laughs> and Angelina Jolie in this? I mean, what happened? He had to, uh, no, you know, Harvey paid some people and it got the nomination. <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear. That's definitely what happened. I'll also say, I having played the so crew proud. a lot, I like the crew very, very much. It's also on the lighter end, though. So even the, even the, the, the games that are in the Kenner Builders are, aren't quite as heavy as what we would like them to be. But that said... Everything that I've heard about The King's Dilemma says that that belongs here, that that deserves mm-hmm. to be here, that that is tremendously innovative. I hope it wins. I hope it wins the the, the, the Kennerspiel de Yars. And uh, if I could have taken one of the three recommended titles and put it up there, I would have loved to see Underwater Cities up there. Underwater yeah. Cities oh. for me is the heartbreaker of last year. I really like the look of it. I like the mechanisms it explores. I think it has terrific, unique cards, mm. uh, and it's a great worker placement game. It feels broken to me. It feels kind of two dimensional, two dimensional rather than three dimensional. And and having played the extension, that kind of reinforced that. Uh, really. That yeah, because it doesn't seem like there's not enough you can do with strategy. Uh, it's all about tactics. It's all about what cards you pull. Um, you you can't like you you build the same labs as before. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you you do the same resources and you always manage them the same way. Uh, and maybe I'm not getting past that initial mm-hmm. first impression of strategy uh, and maybe there is another way to win or do well uh, but i just don't see it. it it's very limited i mean for me. for me the addition of the museum the addition of the new cards the addition of the different assistant cards that you can start the game with so the variable starting position i thought those were really good additions of the expansion and kind of turned me around my my initial uh, vote on Underwater Cities was kind of yours. It was like, at first, I loved it, and then the more I played it, I was like, oh, you know what? It is starting to feel a little samey, a little, a little limited in terms of the way it plays. Um, but the expansion really kind of, for me, gave it a new a new life, and I'm still kind of in that space. I still very much enjoy it. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, I'm an unabashed fanboy of the game. I think it's great. I never had, I never, I, I consider myself lucky that I never had the the issues that I know some other people have had. Um, and I, I love it. And for me, uh, perhaps there's truth to what Dimitri's saying, that it's always the same labs, always the same this or that. But for me, it's how you get those labs out on the board and how you build that stuff, because that's always where the dilemmas come in. How I, Which cards am I going to use? Well, I've got this color. That would be great, but there's no slot, or I don't have the bonus. or You know, all those decisions... I, the decision making that game to me is just so rich. It's like the chefs gets like, mm, wow, perfect. I wish there was some way for the cities to communicate with each other. I wish there was some way to matter which cities were next to which cities and maybe mm-hmm. trade resources between them. It's um, great. I like that idea. Uh, That's but, a great idea for an expansion. I think it's excellent. Yeah. Um, guys, we're running late on time, so let me skip ahead and just talk about a couple last things. Nemesis Lockdown. Nemesis, hugely popular sci-fi horror dudes on a map game. 
Uh, haven't reviewed it. Haven't uh, been able to procure a copy of it. So, uh, but a game that we would very much like to review in the future. Hint, gonna... hint. Rep Nemesis Publishers. No, no, no. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like they're going to be knocking down our door. Uh, this is the first standalone expansion for the game Nemesis. It takes us to a new location, a secret base on Mars, and it has a multi-level board. Um, lockdown is going to, from everything that I'm looking at here, it seems like it's going to deliver on a lot of what the, the, the base game is just in spades and give you a, uh, give you some new mechanisms, some new things. Check it out. Uh, it's not due until 2021. The lead time on a game like this is going to be a long time, but it is a big box expansion, not a small box expansion. This is going to be a, a pretty huge. So please check that out. And uh, last but not least, we should say that it is official. Uh, Gen Con uh, 2020 has been canceled. Spiel, Essen Spiel, the largest board gaming convention in the world, has been canceled. You're not, they're not going to just invite 10 people they and are, hold it in New York? They are not going to invite 10 people. They realized that they would have to either invite Trey or me, and not both of us, and uh, for Gen Con, and uh, they just couldn't. They couldn't split that Gordian knot, um, which is unfortunate. But uh, something that just happened this week that we that we got to a little late is that uh, BGG Con Online had uh, they had a little two day online convention. That sounded like it went really, really well. People had a, a great time with that, and hopefully there'll be more of those sorts of things that will in some small way, uh, bridge the gap, okay? It's it's a sad thing. Uh, I was planning on going to Gen Con. Uh, we, Trey and I go almost every year and have for a very long time. We've had tons of uh, elders come with us dozens of times. Matt has come with us several times. Uh, it's, it's a real joy. Um, Trey, Matt, and I loved Essen the, the one time we were there and look forward to getting uh, back Tom, there Tom, you, you should uh, uh, put on our Facebook pa- page the photo of all three of you in bed together uh, at, at the hotel room. You like that one? Yes, very is that, much Is that your so. favorite photo? Uh, and, and, and Ben, uh, please hold a BenCon in your apartment. <laughs> I've been wanting to hold a BenCon for a very long time. But like it's one of those things like, I should have a BenCon because my name is Ben and it rhymes with Jen. But I haven't actually organized anything yet. So You, you, you mean pending. you had this idea before and I mentioned it. I, I feel so sad. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't feel sad. Just it's, it's, it's a happy moment. It's a happy moment where our minds were on the same wavelength. Great minds. Which, Yes. Yes, exactly. Gentlemen, let's move on to games on the brain. Games, games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Now, we've gotten some notes from people that when they play that theme on their home computer, that it scares the horses. Uh, so just let us know if that is true. There might be something frequency-wise that is causing livestock in the area to flee. Uh, please do let us know but that. cats all gather around <laughs> and join in, right? Worth it. Worth what's, it for the cats. What's on your brain? Let's start with Ben. Ben, what's on your, what's on your brain these days? You know, um, aside from all the stuff that we're going to be reviewing and all that stuff, yada, 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 um, you know, uh, I was uh, I saw that uh, the designer of Anachrony, I don't know how to say his last name, David Turksey, Turzy, um, he came up with a, uh, did you see this? He came up with like a two-player 
um, version of Brass, basically. And he got Martin Wallace's blessing, and he it's called Isle of White. And it's uh, he he created a prototype like over a weekend, and it plays essentially the same, but um, there you know obviously there's variations. There's some there's almost there's a card draft situation, I believe. Mm-hmm. I read through the rules last weekend. Uh, did you read about this? Did you see this? I did see this. Uh, first of all, we should say that Brass does play two players. There is a different map yes. for for Lancashire, and I think it plays really good uh, two player. But I did see this, Ooh. and I was just thinking to myself. Uh, David Turksey is kind of crushing it right now. He's got two other games that are about to come out. He has so many things in the hopper right now that he's just hitting his stride in terms of productivity. Or, you know, being a screenwriter, I know sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just that timing-wise, everything ends up happening right. at the same time. But uh, I, I would I would love to check out this game and and, and play this version looked, of Brass. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm by the way, and I'm so happy to hear that um, Brass the var- the variants work really well for two player because uh, I have been really wanting to play some Brass. I've not played Birmingham or Lancashire in a long time. I would play either one because I think they're both great, and um, uh, uh, that's great to know. It is it is in the uh, it is in the discussion of a game that we will review this turn. Uh, this uh, great. Uh, so yeah, of course that makes sense. It is it, it because it's it's up there in terms of the amount of plays going on right before the uh, the the quarantine hit. It was way up in terms of plays per month, um, which means it's it's popular and, and people are, are playing it. But it's also an older game and it's also a heavy game, a game that we absolutely love. The the new edition of it really brought a broader audience, and we we, we are remiss that we haven't talked about it. I mean, we're talking about a Martin Wallace today. I would love. I'm to, so excited. I would love to get another one in there. By the way, today I'm so excited. Oh, could couldn't be couldn't be more. Martin Wallace is one of my favorite designers. Like my early games in the hobby game were some of his games like Princes of the Renaissance. Like I, I go way, way back with hard, mean Martin Wallace games. When you meet him, he's a hard, mean, just curmudgeonly guy. He's just... Mm. Uh, uh, I, like Dimitri. My, my, yeah. <laughs> my love for Martin Wallace uh, uh, spans galaxies. It, it crosses oceans. I, I, <laughs> he's one of those guys that I have, uh, I have such a love for him above and beyond what he's done just the fact that there is this this you know this this little school teacher who's who's a grouch and designs these amazing mean horrible games where you get together with your friends and just continually economically punch each other in the face for four hours and And in the face is the polite way of putting it (laughs) but (laughs) uh, i've been thinking about tabletop simulator Mm -hmm. and that's been on my brain because i was intimidated to try it Uh, and when i finally did uh, it took about half an hour uh, for me to download steam and download uh, tabletop simulator Mm. practice it enough so that i'm still not proficient or elegant, but I can basically do enough. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's intuitive. So I, it, I, for me, it has a much lower barrier than I expected. Uh, and, and that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought the game the, the other night went, uh, went pretty much without issue, except for me. I mean, I, uh, 
Well, you were dealing with the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet in your own household. So, yes. All right. So here's the story. So I I have a wonderful office that I am in right now that is nice and and big and spacious. And I got a huge uh, conference room table that I've done writer's rooms at and all that sort of stuff. And that's where we do our gaming. We got these awesome, you know, executive chairs that are really comfortable to sit at. We play our games here. I do my work here. When I go home, I'm home. And I am totally, well, maybe not totally, but largely 100% available as daddy or as husband during that time. So now that we have the quarantine, I am home. I am sitting out on my balcony and I am playing these games online. But my family, it's just not quite working because, oh, I need daddy. He's right there. I can see him through the glass. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's created the situation where more than, more than a few times I'm playing these games with you guys. And, you know, we'll be in the middle of the game and you'll hear me say, I'll be right back. And then I disappear, and then I usually come back in time for my in, in time for my turn, and and it's not too bad because it's little things. It's kill a spider, or it's take care of this, or do, <laughs> you know do these sorts of uh, these sorts of little. But not things. when there's drama. Not when there's drama. We had a game, and it was the night before my daughter's uh, a paper on Romeo and Juliet was due. And it was an unmitigated disaster. She was just kind of having a meltdown. Listen, you heard my daughter. She is a very articulate, very well-spoken person. And when she has a... And she's a very good writer as well. And when she has a paper and she's writing it and she realizes that it's just not coming together, it's a very emotional thing for her. She's very, very passionate about doing it right and getting it right. And she was like, I don't like Shakespeare. And I'm like, oh... It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I love the Bard. I mean, I just absolutely adore uh, adore. Uh, well, she's but she's a teen. You know, listen. Do any teenagers really like Shakespeare? I Let's did. be honest. I did. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> no. Do any normal teenagers? Any normal teenagers like Shakespeare? Maybe, no. maybe not, but it, but it's one of those things. If that you I are was... a normal teenager and like Shakespeare, please write us okay. at gamebrain.com. <laughs> All right. Now here's the problem. Okay, I'm here's being a pro- Shakespeare gatekeeper. Here is the problem. There was there are all these um, theater companies that are releasing live uh, videos of theatrical plays during the quarantine, right? They're trying to keep us interested in live theater and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The Globe Theater in London, the Bard's own theater. Not the Bard's own theater. Essentially. Bard's own theater. Yeah, it's a different place. You know, it's it's like the San Diego. San Diego has a Globe Theater, too. Yeah. It it has no historical interest. No, it's not not true. The one in in San Diego is not the same dimensions the the one in London is. It's, It's a faithful recreation. So it's the size that counts, Tom. Yes, it is very much so. Um, anyway, they put on, they released for three days each three of Shakespeare's plays put on by the Royal Shakespeare Company performing it. So some famous actors, people we, people we knew, and they had Romeo and Juliet for like three days. And I was like, okay, family, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch Romeo and Juliet, which Soleil is studying right now. We're going to sit down and we're going to watch it. We made it through two of the five acts, and my daughter's like, do we have to keep watching? And I'm like, what is with you? I'm trying to, this is, 
this is the tried and true method of getting you into Shakespeare. Like you can understand the language when you watch professional actors perform it well and you can kind of get into it and, and a thing switches in your brain and you get it and it didn't. It just didn't. And it was... It was, was it a good performance? Did you, did you yes, feel like it was, it was a good production? It's not my... It wasn't my favorite production I've ever seen, but yeah, it was good. So Juliet yeah, was, was one of the actresses from Game of Thrones. I mean, it had some, it had some star power and they did but, good. Uh, I was watching Much Ado About Nothing the uh, earlier earlier in quarantine, previously in quarantine. The Central Park uh, one? I was, I was my, watching my it, the, the Shakespeare in the Park, and great casts, but, you know, it was like, it was painful to watch because it was, I didn't like the way it was, it was, everything was, mm. everything was up here! And, you know, when you watch that for like an hour, you just have to turn it off. So, you may, you know, my first, uh, my first much ado uh, starred Jack Black as Benedict uh, when he was a student at UCLA, uh, and it was one of my three absolute magnificent, mind-blowing theater experiences. I'm I feel very, very lucky and privileged uh, to actually have that. I'll uh, say the, I'll in, say in the, my uh, history. That's awesome. I, I thought that the the Brana movie was very good. I thought no, they, no, no, it, it was. was affected. It it was too Italian. No, it was too it was sunny. Good. That's what it's supposed to be. No, no, I mean, no. Other it, than other than Keanu Reeves, which we can all just just say, not his best moment. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Okay. It's not always what you say about Keanu Reeves, and yet somehow he has an amazing career. Obviously, and, you haven't seen John Wick. <laughs> uh, obviously, I've seen all three, Tom. <laughs> come on. This is me. That poor right. little dog. That dog made me cry more than Meryl Streep. I'm not even going to talk about Games on the Brain, because we're running out of... We're already at an yeah, hour, and we haven't even got the to brain. the review Just say that yet. the game of Shakespeare is on your brain. I would. Uh, there is a game of Shakespeare. Uh, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, one that's what's on my brain. Right that's what I, I, I want to know more about that game. Eight by eight challenge, Tom. No, uh, uh, the eight by eight challenge, we did two games of Age of Steam, so I'm pretty sure we are done with our train game uh, and I played Concordia. Does that count? Yes, it does. Yes. Concordia is on the list. Bravo. I'm writing yes. it down right now. Uh, so that's what we have. And now we are going to go to our special segment, which is Game Brain Top 50 Games. And uh, uh, there's no other way to put it. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. I read the wrong list <laughs> last week. <laughs> so shall right. we redo was, the bottom five? Hey, we are the gonna, top 50? That's what we're going to do. We're going to do 50 to 46. That's what we're going to do because I messed up and I read the... the, the listen... When you put something into Google Sheets and you put these tiny little tabs down at the bottom, don't expect me to notice. Don't expect me to notice. I pull it up and, okay. and I happen to look at the wrong tab, okay? Here is the list of games the official from 50 to 46. This is the list that awards individual appearances of the games. So if this a game the- makes an appearance on several of our top 20, it gets points. more points. It gets more points, Correct. and this is a much more fair representation because the number one game on the list is a game that few people love, but everybody likes. Uh, it, numbers one through five, I don't think changed at all, um, or one through three, anyway. Um, it, but yeah, I I agree with you. This is a better list. Here we go. Thank you, Trey, for actually doing it. Yes, which I said last week, but and then I didn't read his list. <laughs> Or I didn't read his calculation. I'm in suspense. Number 50, you should be in suspense because you're the only person that put this on the list. This clunker, Forbidden Stars, is oh, our, yeah. is somehow our number 50 <laughs> game. It's a great game. Our Warhammer, great, great the game. only Warhammer-themed game that is on the 
the Game Brain Top 50. Do you think I care about Warhammer? Do you think Do, do you think in any world Ben Mandelker cares about I Warhammer? Of course I don't. I think you are a huge Warhammer I, I think this game is an excellent fan. game. Fanboy. That's we what pl- I think. We played it, didn't we, Tom? Yes, we we, we yeah. played it. I Listen, I, I minis, thought it was... Minis, I, beautiful, scary you know, plastic. I, I would like to play it again. I, I will say this. I played it once. I enjoyed it very much. And I would like to play it again. I'm given, I played I'm it given, more than once. I'm giving Ben a little bit of, of heck here um, because all the trappings of the no game say I should hate it. But actually, the gameplay was pretty interesting Same. and pretty well designed. It uh, reminded me of Scythe. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Speaking of Ben Mandelker specials, <laughs> the f- number 49 is a, another game that Ben put way up on the list, way higher than everybody else did. Railways of the World is our number 49. Ben, what do you want to say mm. about that? I'll, you know, anything I have to say about that, I'll just reserve for the review because I think it would go hand in hand with our Age of Steam discussion. I totally agree. I think that I think that Railways of the World is a, is a fantastic game and I think it fits in well in this discussion. Number 47, interestingly, is... 48. Don't... don't. Uh, no, uh, two, two games tied at 47, sir. Oh, Yes. Two games tied at 47. One is Scrabble. So Jake felt very strongly that, that you know what, say what you want in your hobby, your little hobby game world. Scrabble is, is still an undeniable classic and an absolutely amazing game. Yeah. And I, the other I, one is Checkers? No, the other one is, uh, is Advanced Civ. How could Jennifer put together a top 20 list without putting uh, her, her design on it, which is absolutely deserves to be here it is one of the one of the seminal game design products of our time did it lose ground because of uh trey's algorithm yes aha it did uh it would be advanced civ is an absolutely unbelievable game i don't think half of what the hobby has become would have become that without advanced civilization so uh, definitely deserves to be up there. And then, last but not least, number 46, the game that got a lot of these people into this game. A lot of our game group came from uh, from meeting over this game, Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Still still one of the... Oh, they're the, going to say Catan. No, no, Battlestar Galactica. The, the first time I met Matt, uh, I came over to play and teach Battlestar Galactica to uh, to him and a group of his friends. And that's when um, my group of me and Trey and Dimitri and Paul and all those guys met Matt and his group of Jesse and, and Jake and, and them. So that My was, favorite co-op game. I, I still think it's an, it's an incredible game. The fact that basically the great part of it, the greatest part of it is Avalon uh, means that we don't really play it anymore. Uh, because Avalon sort of strips it down to its to its basis, but I still think it's a, it's absolutely amazing game, and that is the actual fifty to forty six. My apologies about last week. Let's get to it, people. Let's get to our game review. Tale of the Tape: Age of Steam is a two thousand and two release, recently updated with a gorgeous twenty nineteen copy. The designer, <laughs> um. There are ways you could put this. This is the first time I'm listing the designer or designers, and uh, it's a it's a bit of a controversy. Um, the designer is Martin Wallace. That is a known fact. The designer might also be John Borer, 
that is a contested but largely accepted fact. I think the fact of the matter is is that the 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 first map, the Rust Belt map, is John Borer's. I believe that the basic rule set is Martin Wallace's. And I believe that rules tweaks and editing and designing work have been done by John Bohr that appears to be, there are, oh my goodness, there are Tom, 20. Tom, how many maps that are about 200? So many maps, so many maps. But there are, there are 200 page threads, uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit of exaggeration, but not that much. Uh, thread after thread after thread about the Martin Wallace John Borer uh, uh, thing. Suffice it to say that the 2019 release, the new release that is out, does not have Martin Wallace's name anywhere in the book, and it doesn't list a game designer on the box. It doesn't list the game designer in the beginning of the rules. Buried in eight-point type near the end of the rule book, it says game designed by John Borer, uh, and yet. When you go to Age of Steam on the Geek, it does not have Martin, John Borer's name anywhere. It is game designer Martin Wallace. And we're back because we just had a two-hour discussion of the authorship <laughs> issue of Age of Steam, and we cut it out wisely. And now we are back to the review uh, of Age of this Steam. This is important, <laughs> okay? A game that Tom and I have played for over a decade. The new art is done by you know Tool, and it is put out by Eagle Griffin Games. Dimitri, take it away. Tell us, tell us what is Age of Steam and how we do it. Uh, the reason I wanted to review Age of Steam is because it is a great game, and I don't like it, and I never want to play it, and I finally figured out why. <laughs> <laughs> it is a. It, it's, it, it's also one of my absolute favorite sure, games, and I will sure. play I it thought, any day. Anytime. I thought Tom would love to talk about it, Ben. Uh, it is the newbie, and Ben will give uh, his impressions of what it's like yes. to encounter the game for the first time, which to me is lost in my deep, ancient memory. Uh, Wait, and Ben, is that true? Have you have you not played it until very recently? My, uh, the first time I ever played Age of Steam was last week. <gasps> there you go. See how interesting this is. I'm clutching pearls. Age of Steam is not Clutch a game. Them. It is a game system. Yes. Because there are so many maps, each of which play differently, each of which have different, slightly different rules. But it is a, a genius system of games that boils down uh, uh, a train game to laying track mm -hmm. uh, and delivering goods or getting contracts to deliver goods. Pick up and deliver is essentially what it is, yes. Yes, but it's really a bidding game mm -hmm. where... Most of the game, uh, most of the winning, most of the strategy, most of the tactics of the game is the different players bidding for turn order, which is extremely important, and also for variable player powers for that round, mm -hmm. which is also extremely important because those variable powers are the only ways to do some things and also a way to be more efficient at some things that you absolutely have to do. And because it is a bidding game for those things, and because when you lay track, you can also cut people off on the map, it is highly interactive in every aspect of it. There's a single board, and you're always fighting each other for the variable powers, for turn order, and for that track laying. It, it is incredibly intense. Uh, it plays in about three hours, sometimes two and a half. Uh, it takes about a half hour to teach. It takes years to master. 
and I don't like it, and I'll tell you exactly why. But <laughs> Dimitri, Tom, you're saying that uh, it's mostly a bidding game. Let's let's break this down. In the game, uh, the ways to win the game are varied. There is bidding well is one factor. There is analyzing the map and placing your routes, building your track well. That's another thing. Analyze but in it. order to do no, that, no, 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 you have me, to bid. Let me keep going here. Sure. Uh, no, everybody's going to get the build track, whether or not you bid well or bid, bid poorly. So let me keep going. Um, analyzing the cubes, because here's the deal. The, the cubes are the goods that are going to be delivered to correct. the various th- cities. And the way it works is the cubes come in five colors and the cities come in five colors. And what you have to do is you have to, a purple cube can only be delivered to a purple city. A blue good can only be delivered to a blue city. And every city or town in between that you pass through, it counts as one step. In order to deliver a long distance, you have to have a powerful train. So you have to increase your locomotive to a longer and longer locomotive, to a higher point. You can't ever deliver only halfway. You have to be able to make that delivery all at once. But the farther you deliver, the more money that that generates. So delivering six cities away, six six, uh, links away, is going to generate six income. Delivering one city away is going to generate only one income. I'm going to add here that the the game is made out of hexes. The map is made out of hexes. And uh, the track, you connect hexes, much as in an 18xx game and much in many games of this sort. And very simple. It it costs, on most maps, it costs two to build on on a normal hex. It costs three to build on a river hex or that sort of thing, four in the mountains, and so on and so forth. Very simple rules on that. But back to my point, Dimitri, it's like the bidding is definitely super important in the game. But... Analyzing the board and building good routes is very important in the game. Yes. Um, analyzing the different uh, variable player powers that you could choose each turn and choosing the right one. Even if you win the bid, you could choose the wrong one. That's important. And the, the fourth thing, which I think may be almost as important as any of the others, is analyzing the cubes that are on the board and figuring out how what what I'm going to deliver two or three turns from now. What is What are safe cubes for me to deliver? What is the route that I'm building toward that is going to generate a lot of points later in the game? That's another thing. So that's it's kind of four things there. And a fifth, <laughs> yes. I would say there's a fifth, yes. which is knowing the order in which to organize step one through four in your list there. Because you may see those cubes, and you may know your path, and you may know, you okay, you need to build a locomotive, but which order do I do it? Because if you do it in the wrong order, mm. and yep. you're not as efficient as possible, it is fully feasible that someone could come out of nowhere and just take those cubes, which or just they could just vulture whatever was your planning, they can just do it. They can get in your way. So you have to make sure what is the... what. What is my priority at any given moment? I see someone's in my territory. Is it more important for me to establish a route there or is it more important for me to take these cubes over here to give me the incomes? That way I'll have that money to go forward to the auction for next round. And one of the variable player powers that you're bidding for uh, and you can uh, actually select uh, is first move. Uh, First move is an opportunity to snag one of those cubes that someone else may want to move and make points off of. First build is an opportunity to build track before someone else can build the track, uh, and, and, and so on. Those are all very, very important. 
Ben, what do you think of the game? I, I mean, I greatly enjoyed it. I really, really liked it a lot. Um, my background with the uh, quote-unquote system is that, as sort of was was slightly previewed with our top 50 there, mm-hmm. is that I love Railways of the World. Um, I have played a ton of Railways of the World. I own all, almost every ma- – I, I may own every single map. I don't know if I've played all the maps, but I've, you know, I've, I absolutely adore that game. And for those of you guys who don't know, Railways of the World was designed by Martin Wallace and started off as Railways, Railway Tycoon, which mm-hmm. was a – which was like the board game version of the video game and that now which is called Railways of the World and it's essentially the same system um, with some tweaks but like very important tweaks that do differentiate the two games mm-hmm. um, I won't get into all of it but basically the, the headline is that it's more of a streamlined experience yeah. um, and uh, but if you have experience with Railways of the World it's just it's very it was very easy for me to transition over to Age of Steam because the, the central concepts of building tracks, having different variable costs for different terrain, having to have the, the more powerful locomotive to go across more links, the idea of, of making deliveries, that's all the same in both games. So, um, so for me, Age of Steam, yes, uh, it definitely is more cutthroat, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. But the fundamentals of both games are kind of identical. So it, it made me ha- just as happy as Railways of the World. But as we go on, I, I will – I certainly – I think I have an early impression of, of which game I, I, I like more at this point. Sure. Um, there are three games. Uh, there is Age of Steam. There is Steam. And there is Railways of the World. Those are all three Martin Wallace designs. And they have – Fairly subtle differences. They're similar games in a, in, in a lot of ways. Steam essentially was birthed out of when John Bohr decided to lay claim and try and take Age of Steam for himself. Martin Wallace created Steam to differentiate and to have a product that he could make sure uh, wasn't going to be taken by anybody. And Railways of the World, as you said, was a is sort of railroad tycoon matched with Age of Steam um, and, and brought those two things together. Uh, yeah, so... For me, of those games, I've played all of them. My favorite is still Age of Steam. It's still the granddaddy, the original. And it is for for two reasons. One, variability. There are so many more maps for Age of Steam than Mm. there is for any other game. And And they're all different. And they're all interesting. They're interesting in different ways. Some of these maps play incredibly different. My favorite map of all time is Korea. In Korea, you look at the map and you're like, wait, why are all the cities gray? Every single city on the map is gray. And that's because Korea has this interesting rule, which is the color of a city is the color of the cubes on that city. So you can, so if you have three different colored cubes on that city, hey, that city is super easy to deliver to because you could deliver cubes of any of those three colors. But what happens when somebody pulls one of the cubes off of that city to deliver it somewhere else? It means that oh, you have fun. a constantly shifting, constantly dynamic that's system. Really interesting. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's, my favorite. It is so mean. Yeah, that's really my favorite map is the moon, where one half of it goes dark every turn, mm-hmm. and that affects how cities receive goods and whether they can receive goods. Uh, so we have, and the moon I, is, and the moon is a wraparound as well because yes. you can build, you can build a tile off of the edge of the map and the edge of the map has all these numbers on them. So when you build off of one edge, you can come in 
on the other side because the, the, the moon is small. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's oh, a yeah, map it's designed creepy. by the brilliant game designer of Clinic. I forget his name momentarily. Aban Viard? Yes, and, and, and uh, I, I just loved it. So there's so much variability in this system of rules. It really is a system. It's not yeah. a single game. Ted, Els- Ted Elsbach, who designed Suburbia and many other great games, Bezier Games is, is, is his uh, uh, company. Uh, he designed many, many maps for Age of Steam. So there's a lot of uh, really high-powered, amazing designers that have sort of thrown their hat into the Age of Steam ring to it's come like up a, with great yeah. designs. And he like has, an atelier. by the way, he, yeah. he has a train game coming out uh, supposedly this fall called Maglev Metro, which is like a futuristic uh, kind of like yep. a, like a subway game, but it's, it's basically it's a train game, but it, with, with Maglev trains uh, with transparent tiles, you can have overlapping routes that looks really cool. Uh, so it's like, it's so. Uh, that just saying that as as a uh, oh no it, it's, it's interesting to see with where also this this age of steam DNA has now uh, where it's gone to yeah when people think Ted Alsbach these days they tend to think suburbia they then tend to think you know medium weight lighter medium weight sort of tiling games but no Ted, Ted is a hardcore trained gamer as well so so when this game comes out hopefully it's going to be like some of his amazing Age of Steam maps and you're really going to get a challenge it, it, Ted has this map uh, Northern California that is fascinating. It's got like five different things that change the, the rules of Age of Steam, including a city in the south, like San Jose or something like that, that gets cubes coming off boats. And you can see the cubes that are going to come there. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that up in the north, Sacramento is a completely white city. And is the same color as whatever San Jose is on that turn. Whatever cubes are on San Jose, that's what that has up there. And it creates these wonderful mm. dynamics. What, one of the interesting things that uh, anybody listening to this should gather from this discussion is that there's an enormous variety within a fairly simple set of rules. Mm. And, and one of the simplicity one of the simplicities of the rules has to do with the fact that there's only one resource in the game, and that's money. And there's really only two ways to get money, to issue stock, mm-hmm. which hurts you in so many ways because you have to pay dividends, which means you have to, um, um, you lose money for every bit of stock that you sell. Mm-hmm. And also it hurts you at the end of the game because when you take the shares that you've sold, you have to subtract them from whatever income that you're generating. And that really affects your final points. But all that track laying, all the locomotive, you don't have to worry about steel. You don't have to worry about wood. You don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about coal. The only thing you're looking at is the map, the goods, the colors of the goods, the colors of the cities, and the money. And the money in the game is used for two things. It's used for laying track, and it's used to punish punish your opponents in the bidding uh and uh tom uh No, it's also it's also used to pay what you owe it's also used to pay debts yes that's true yeah so okay the the let's talk about i said martin wallace is a curmudgeon i said he's a grouch i said all all these Mm -hmm. sorts of things this game is the perfect distillation of his, his his personality in game design form the rules of age of steam specifically state that if you cannot pay 
what you owe at the end of the round, you go bankrupt and you are out of the game. Nobody plays by that rule. Everybody plays so, well, by they, a, an emergency shares rule that we now have. Yes, go ahead. Well, technically, isn't it that if you can't pay what you owe, you reduce your income Correct. level one spot for every dollar that you owe, right? That is exactly. And that could that, potentially make you Yeah, what, what it ends up meaning is it ends up meaning you are knocked out of the game the round that that happens and almost always you be, you spiral into this death spiral where whereby you're probably never getting out of that. People have gone completely bankrupt or their 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 income has, has dropped to zero and 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 died horrible deaths in in the game. And often. especially now that is not the game you want to play. <laughs> so yeah, so let's talk about how the game is uh, maybe meaner than your average game. Well, there, I think I think that you look first and foremost at at the opening auction. And this to me is one of the major differences between it and railways of the world, mm -hmm. which is that the auction that starts every round, um, is a, it's a really, it's an important auction to place in. And it's also a, it's a punishing auction because it's the sort of auction where if you win the auction, okay, so you get first pick of these variable powers you talk about. If you come in second, you still have to pay, everything that you bid mm -hmm. and if you are in the middle you have to pay half what you bid and the only one who <laughs> who can like get out quote unquote unscathed is the one who passes first who then usually has like nothing too great to pick from at the end so <laughs> and you're money always is super tight and you wind up spending it for like nothing stuff in the middle for not nothing yeah for nothing and the uh, you're always bidding on two things which is what makes it so difficult and so punishing. You're bidding on your choice of variable power, and you, it's still up to you to make the right choice. Let's but you're also bidding on yeah. turn order. So, so those two things are so important. Yeah. You, you may be first in turn order. Somebody may take as a variable power first build or first move and take first yeah. place away from you. Let's talk you. really quick about the variable powers. Just just to get them out super quick, um, the two that are generally the most sought after are locomotive, which you start off with a level one locomotive, which can only deliver from one city to a city that is directly connected to it and, and there is nothing in between. And um, you only earn one dollar, dollar for, things, for that. You can upgrade your locomotive by not delivering one of the two goods you can deliver each round. The only other way to upgrade your locomotive is to take the locomotive action, which gives you a free upgrade right then and right there. Hugely valuable, hugely sought after, and often the first thing taken. The other one is urbanization, which takes these little circles with these little towns hexes, that are on the map. Hexes. Circles. Hexes. The towns, the towns are the but there are oh, yes, circles on the hexes. You're right, sorry. Yeah, it takes these little circles that are on the map, which represent towns, and urbanizes them, turns them into cities. You put a tile down, and suddenly that is a black city, or a red city, or a blue city, or a yellow city, or a purple city. All of a sudden, you have a new place to deliver goods to, and that radically changes the calculation on the map. And it also produces goods. Uh, yes, well. it can also it can also produce goods, and it can uh, short circuit uh, someone's on. links tremendously, tremendously. It changes the calculus of the game in major, major ways. Then there is um, engineering. Engineering normally you can only build three track lengths per turn. Engineering allows you to build a fourth track length. There is first build and first move that's going to allow you to circumvent the normal turn order in order to be the first person to build track, which can often be a great thing because you can lock people out of certain cities. You can block where they want to go. You can 
build a link that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to build. And first move, which allows you to grab those super valuable cubes before everyone else in the turn order grabs those cubes. And oftentimes that is going to be a very, very big deal. Very big deal because if there are two cubes in a city that you want to grab and you are fourth in player order, those two cubes might be gone. Other players can mm-hmm. take those cubes, snatch them from under your nose, and you won't have anything to deliver, and you won't have any new income that round. Martin Wallace is a designer. And I'm not that saying is- that Demetria did that to me in the last game, <laughs> but I'm not saying that he didn't do that to me either. Martin Wallace is a designer that is very comfortable with the concept of scarcity. He is he relies on it. That <laughs> just, is a just, design design goal. And to be completest, there's one more variable power player power to Two choose. More. Two more. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, one is turn order uh, pass, which allows you to, on the next bidding round, next round, allows you to pass and yet stay in the bidding. Otherwise, when you pass, you are out and you become the next to last player after the person who came before you or whatever. And uh, turn order pass can be a huge money-saving thing. Sometimes it'll allow you to be first or second in the choice and turn order for paying nothing. Yes, because it will force the uh, first person uh, who bid the most sometimes to bid against themselves. And that's painful. And then there's the redheaded stepchild, which is... Don't talk about me. Production. Production. No, actually, that's an Irish slur. I'm surprised I used it myself. Um, uh, Production allows you to pull... uh, uh, cubes out of the bag and add them to the chart that will dice will be rolled and randomly um, cubes will be placed onto the map and so you can just somewhat somewhat control what cubes are going to go to what cities in the future yeah because cities and that helped do me actually, produce goods last game. oh yeah um, the, at the right time that's a very valuable very valuable thing for sure yeah i think Ultimately, yeah, so when you're doing this auction, you're bidding for all that stuff, but you're also, ex- you know, you, you unless you are, unless you pass first, you are expending a lot of money, but if you're passing first, you are really, you're in a terrible position. It's, 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 it's a very, very unforgiving auction, um, coupled with a very, very unforgiving fundraising mechanic in the game. The fact that, um, you have to raise all your money. You decide how much money you're going to raise, and you have to raise it before you do anything else. You know that's that is interesting because you're like, how much money am I going to need? But um, you miss you you underestimate something. You you make one mistake in calculations, and you would think it's simple math. Like, well, how hard is it to add like three plus five in situations? But two games in a row, <laughs> I I and let me tell you something. I was a math whiz in high school. I miscalc. I did not do my budget right, and two games in a row, I was a dollar over. <laughs> and it's like you, it, it, there is an absolute domino effect if you have to do the emergency share situation. Um, it's really unforgiving having to get all your money at the front, and then if, and, and I almost don't even understand why that is. Like I don't understand maybe thematically why that is. Maybe thematically, like the banks are. This is when you went and applied for your loan or something. But um, it is. The fact that you have you have to budget everything and then you have this auction that comes in like a sledgehammer to, to <laughs> disrupt everything. And then on top of that, other players, once you do start playing after the auction, mm-hmm. will mess up other things. You have to spend more money to do X, Y, and Z when you're planning to do A, B, and C. Uh, you know, that's that's where the depth is. But it's also where the, like, 
total unforgiving. Ben, ben I'm going to jump in. I'm just I'm going to jump in and say this is why I don't like this game, even though I realize it's great, because your first move begins with an auction, begins with bidding, where you have to look at the board. You you can study the board ahead of time if you know what you're going to play, but basically you're going to have to look at the board. You're going to have to choose and rank two or three or four starting positions that you'll be fine in with. Uh, you, you study the goods, then you have to look two or three turns in advance to mm -hmm. see what goods are coming, to mm -hmm. see if you don't deliver anything in the first round, and maybe you can make up for that in the second or third. Then you have to do the same calculation for your other players, or your other partners in the game, you know, four or five other I'm not people. That level yet. Yeah. Then mm -hmm. you have to look at how many shares they issued and how many how much money they have. Dimitri, and that's then, a, so Tom, okay. let me finish. Oh, please, by all means. Sure. And then you have to bid. And this is your first move. This is the first thing you do in the game before you actually saw how that board plays. Before you have a chance to build any track or move any pieces, remind yourself what the mechanisms of the game are. And all of this is happening in your head. It's an overload. I think so I'm hearing it's very, it's very hard. Because I'm hearing a 10 out of 10 right now. What's your criticism? My, yeah. Well, okay. I actually and the think, thing is, that's, I, Tom, I that's think you make a very good point. Go ahead. You make a very good point. But for me, that's so far, that's stuff I actually really like. I like looking at a board and like looking at all the possibilities and like, like the agony. You know, I'm, I famously will constantly be saying, oh my God, I'm so stressed because I like the, I like when that decision tree just unfurls so quickly and so rapidly in front of you because you see all the different potential things. So, so far, I really like that aspect that you're describing. Yeah, and, and I don't. And it, it really is, it comes down to the psychology of the player. Uh, you might be a player like me, or you might be a player like Tom or Ben listening to this. For me, a board game is uh, an aid to thinking. I want to see the pieces move. Uh, I want to look at the board and I want that board to, ref to reflect my thinking. So I'm not thinking in a vacuum because mm. you can play chess in your head. You don't need a board. You don't need pieces to play chess, right? You can just picture it. Um, and, and you and your opponent can just simply state your moves. The reason that chess is played on a board with pieces is because it's better that way. It's a board game that way. And to have such a major decision, such a major first move happen without seeing anything but a map, with seeing no pieces, with, see, with not seeing how things move, uh, it's difficult. Now, it this is. is one of those, like Age of Steam is terrific because it does not have individual player boards. Yes. Right? It is probably the most complicated game that I can think of that I've played. The most challenging, the most interactive game that does not have your own board for you to look at, to play with, to see where you are. Mm. Everything is happening on a common map and on a common uh, like rubric where you can see where everybody is on the engine, on the locomotive, and and. and what everybody's income is, and so on. That's great. Yeah. That's economy of design. It makes me miserable. <laughs> and, and, the, and the problem is that, you know, mm. I don't need to win. I don't want to bust out, and I don't want to play badly. But here's the thing. So, okay, here we go. So 
here's things that people have told me I don't want to play this game again because, okay? Uh, I don't want to play this game because what Dimitri just said, I, the first decision is so important and the amount of information I have to parse is so vast. I totally agree with that. This game throws you into the deep end. It does. It does. I don't, I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration. I think that you can look at the map and figure out, okay, there are five players in the game and I see four perfectly good openings. As long as I am not the first person to pass, I'm probably okay, right? And, and I could figure it out from there. There, there. there are things like that that you can do. But nonetheless, it is a, a you're thrown in. Uh, second thing is uh, I've had people that, say i'm in a lot of debt and this game hits me my anxiety point about that like hardcore that. because the game is all about being in debt constantly this is one of those games that depending on the map and depending on the player count you could have a deficit company until the next to last or last round of the game you could be still owing money to the bank right up until the very end of the game. And only then do you finally, when you break even in this game, you I'm, not celebrate. Talking, I'm not talking about making profit. I'm talking about just, hey, guess what? You don't know anything this round. And, woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Party. Exciting. Oh my God. That's amazing. I can't believe it. Like you have dug yourself out of a trench. And it, it, it feels it feels amazing, but for some people that does not feel amazing. Some people that is horrible. When you especially yeah. when you add in things like income reduction, this game has score compression. Once you get an income over ten, your income drops by two every, at the end of every round. Once it gets above twenty, it drops by four every round. So that income that you have been working and squirreling away and, and outmaneuvering people and stabbing people in the back in order to grab that cube so that they can't get that cube and just to get that little bit of advantage, all of a sudden you're being pushed back by the market pushed back by regulators, pushed back by, you know, depending on whether or not you're, you're an Ayn Rand devotee, you, it, who is pushing you back is, is an open question. But there is a meanness in the system. Jennifer talked about this. She doesn't like games that are being mean to you. Um, this is a game that is being mean yeah, to and, you. And so, it, yeah, exactly. And um, so I, let me underscore again, I really had a very fun time. I would, I would totally play this again anytime. Like, really fun. I think it's a fun game, and I think it's because the underpinnings, is that the right word? The, the fundamental yeah. system is great. You know, the idea of building a network. First of all, I just, I enjoy games in general where I'm building the game's infrastructure. I, mm -hmm. I just, I love that. I love it in, in this game, in Railways the World. I like in games like Wildcatters or Great Zimbabwe or Food Chain Magnet. I always think it's really fun when you sort of create an ecosystem within a game, uh, on the underground even. That's, I, I just love that. That's a concept I, I think is really, really cool. And that's what this game is all about. You know, you're making all these railroads. And it's fun to see these, these tracks spread across a map. And you see, uh, and especially in, in Age of Steam, one thing that I really like about it, uh, more so than Railways the World, is that there's actually a little bit more variety in the train tiles. You can have hairpin turns in this game that yep. you can't have action Railways the World. It drives me nuts. Um, so I like that. I like these bendy, these routes and the way that people can snake around. Just visually, that's fun. Conceptually, that's fun. I love that. Um, I, I like the idea of... Um, these turning these towns into cities, you know, there's a sense of growth. There's 
there is for sure in both of the games, Rail is the World and this one, there is there is a narrative to them. You know, you see an empty map, and in the beginning, it's like a track here, a track there, and then in the middle, then they start to get that tangle, and then all of a sudden, in the, in the third act of the game, you start getting these big deliveries, and and it's like, and you sort of never know where someone's going to vulture a good from, and that's all very exciting, and it feels climactic, and I think those elements will. Are so strong. It powers. It just powers all these games that came from the DNA of Age of Steam, mm. and so I think that that is really great. Where we have differences in terms of the the games are um, in Age of Steam. You have um, uh, a very intense auction, and on top of that, a very unforgiving loan system or stock issuing the stocks or whatever. Yeah, that's really unforgiving. And in Railways, the world. You know, one of the big differences, the auction is way more relaxed. It's uh, the, 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 the basic rules for the auction are basically I bid a thousand, then raise, 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 raise. And whoever wins gets is just player one. And that's that you can play that as you go out. It, it, it affects turn order. Sure. Um, uh, I've actually never played that way with my friends, but it has it's it hasn't been an issue. So you don't mind um, the left, you, right binding. What'd you say? You don't mind the left, right binding if you don't do that. If you don't do that, uh, the person, I don't mind. The person I don't to the mind, left because that becomes part of the strategy a little bit. Actually, it becomes a different strategy, right? Like, well, hmm, in our game, I it, think it, this person in our game, then the strategy yeah. would be: I want to sit to the left of whoever Dimitri, the most aggressive bidder is. Of me, of <laughs> <Yes>. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. But but I wouldn't. But you know, if I I wouldn't mind playing the the other type of auction. I just no sure. one at our table ever really cares that much, to be honest. Gotcha. But um. Uh, but you know, and if you are trying to build something and you run out of money, you can just do a bond right then and there. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't have to, there's no harsh penalties for issuing a bond in the middle of a round and, and stuff like that. And so, um, one, one thing, like, I think age of steam has, there's actually a lot of things that does much better than railways of the world. I think, uh, urbanization is way more important. In Age of Steam, like it, the fact that it's a it's a number it's a top tier auction a, a variable power mm-hmm. uh, in Age of Steam, and then in Railways the World it it happens, but you sort of like work your way up to that part of the game where it happens because it costs ten thousand dollars to do it. Right. Um, you know, so it's interesting. I feel like Age of Steam, I can I feel like in a way it's almost a better game, mm-hmm. but then the um, the one of the most important factors is, is it the more fun game? And yes. I'm not totally sold that it's the more fun game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally know what you're saying. Uh, I'm going to put it in a slightly different way. I have a little bit of an issue with it, the, the way games have evolved from 2000 till now has been away from the Martin Wallace School. The Martin Wallace School mm-hmm. is a school of hard knocks. It is a game that is, you are beating, you are trying to beat the game system as much as you are trying to beat the other players. And you are beating the other players in order to beat the game system. The game system itself is something that needs to be overcome. That is not the way modern game design is. Modern game design seems to have gone very far the other way into what I call the Scooby Snack model where, oh, you take this action, and guess what? You get this little bonus for this, right? The Vital Lacerta thing, yes. where everything you do, you get a benefit Here you from. Go. Here's a little tile for you, and oh, here's a little cube that you get from doing that. I wish all of life this. was like that. 
Right? I just it, want a little M&M after I do anything in life. Which is the which seems to come from the modern day microtransaction world that we live in where everybody realizes, you know, ad- advertising has gotten honed to the point where we know that that even tiny little insignificant rewards move consumer behavior and and doing something and getting a little bit benefit gives you just that little dopamine, just that little bit of dopamine to keep you going. I don't like that. Tom, I don't what like is that. it about you? But railways in the world doesn't have that dopamine. What, what it doesn't is it have that? that. It just doesn't no, have the... It, it, right, the, but, it, but the it also doesn't evil. have the meanness. Yeah. Correct. What, does, what is it about you personally that makes the opposite of that, that makes the meanness and the tightness uh, of, of Age of Steam personally rewarding for you so we would know if we're like you <laughs> um I, I i liken it to weight training right um i want to as i work out in the gym i want to move up to heavier weights and what am i moving toward i'm moving toward heavier stress i'm moving toward more stress i'm looking to stress myself more and more and more as my muscles get bigger and stronger and 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 more defined and for me in in a game the best game for me the best game is a game that stresses me in a beautiful way that's that that pushes me to my limit that challenges me and a game like age of steam i love the fact that the challenge is coming from multiple vectors that the game itself yep. is trying to kill me that my fellow players are all equally drowning right beside me and would gladly push my head under if only to give them another three seconds of air themselves and that, and that's a, i know i might be weird i might be a weirdo but i think that a lot you know, of people I, that are into heavier games no, love not. that there's something there's something amazing about that 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 stress and something cathartic when you overcome that yeah, you and, said, I, and i don't and i don't i don't feel that in games with snoopy scooby snacks you i never said feel drowning. cathartic you said drowning yes. and it makes me feel like hamlet you know or take up arms against a sea of trouble <laughs> and by opposing end of them you know, uh, it makes yeah you know, it makes me feel like drowning it makes me you know, feel think, like that torture where you with, where they drip the water i'm sorry you. i'm sorry i'm talking go ahead go ahead no no i'm, I'm apologizing because my my connection broke out and i I'm, i apologize if i was accidentally just like blatantly talking no, don't worry about it don't, don't worry. We've, um, we've had a couple cutouts no big deal sorry sorry everyone um you know i i i love punishing too in certain ways i love i love a heavy game um uh, i love rich decision making we have to consider so many things i mean you know that's why i put arc light on uh i mean arc right <laughs> that's why i love the arc right uh, arc night theaters <laughs> no, that's why yeah. i put the arc right i put arc right on my favorite games when we we're doing our list because I, I think you mentioned it last week you're like ben put arc right on there but like i love <laughs> like deep rich things they have to think about where you're like oh i've only got this much money but i need to do x y and z how do i get the most out of my money i feel like with this game it's sort of uh i kind of feel like it's 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 there's almost like a wagging finger in your face it's like okay you've gone through an entire round you've you've agonized and oh guess what you're a dollar short of what you were just done and it's too late to walk anything back so guess what look you took you now are you know you're screwed you took emergency shares multiple times this last game I, i i i felt for you that was bad and I wasn't upset. I was not sitting there getting frustrated. But I just want to clarify. I was really having a very good time. 
Um, and uh, and even when, even at one point in the game, uh, I had made some some critical errors, and on top of that, people capitalized on them, and I found myself in a situation where I was like, I am so out of this. And I was like, but I'm like, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to find a way. And I did find a way to keep myself very much in it. And we had a is- uh, technical issue, which caused us from actually getting the final, final score. But I love that the game, honestly, all of the games in the system, I love that the game allows for that, that when something happens, you can pivot. You know, yeah. it's not like you're, you can still feel like you're an active member of the game. And so that was awesome. That was a really exciting thing for me to uh, build a little wrap through the mountains and just come up with my own little plan and like <laughs> feel empowered. But, um, uh, but with this game though, I do feel like it's like, okay, you have this budget and you have to stick to this budget. And at the end of the round, Oh, sorry, dude, before you can issue new shares, um, you do owe one extra dollar. So you're ruined by <laughs> like, to me, that's like not like like I understand the meanness and the com- uh, competition is fun, like in food yeah. chain magnate, but like a moment like that feels more just like that's not that's not like very fun to me. I, I understand that. I I do understand that. Yeah. I will say I would love to play many more games of this with you, Ben. I think that Age of Steam is going to be your bag, especially when you start to see the subtle subtle but amazing variations in the maps and the rules on those maps. There is a map. There's a map for virtually everyone. Look, I don't know if we have sold copies of Age of Steam today or we have canceled orders of Age of Steam. This is a great game. You've been warned. (laughs) You've been warned. It's a great game. You know who you are. I will never stop anyone from buying age of steam as mm-hmm. long as they know what they're getting into <laughs> i actually think uh you know i i i do i here's what i will say about rails of the world and i know this is an age of steam review but it's kind of a spectrum of gaming sure um if you go onto the internet if you go onto reddit or onto board game geek there are tons of threads like should i get age of steam should i get steam should i get um railways of the world and what happens is as people start to argue the topic, and this sort of happens with anything in life, like movies especially, some, like nuances suddenly become polar thing. Like you, people just become very like polarized. Uh, like Age of Steam is the, is, the, is the heavier, it is the deeper game. And Railways of the World is basically a family game. And it's like, okay, people, if you not, read that stuff, really, you're going to get though. scared away. Not everyone, really. So everyone needs to relax. Railways of the World is... Um, it's more forgiving, but it is very, it, I feel like the strategy, it is like in terms of the things that I care about, the strategy is just as deep and you don't have the variable powers, but that's replaced with a system like a card draft. So having being getting player order is still massively important in that game. And so if age of steam sounds like it might be too punishing for you, I, you absolutely cannot go wrong with railways of the world. It is literally like my number two game of of all time yeah. so it is an excellent excellent game and then if you feel like graduating up to age of steam i just feel like it, it, there's there's no reason why not to and i also want to say for people who are age of steam heads who look down on railways of the world um vital lacerda recently did a map uh, railways of portugal mm-hmm. which was beyond cutthroat i played it with my friends and it was so fun so if you are if you feel like age of uh, um uh, railways of the world is sort of like kids gloves or whatever just know that it can get, it, it can get it's also extremely cutthroat extremely cutthroat so I, yeah. I, I 
I, I think the whole system is great. I way. am not an age. I am a huge Age of Steam head. I am. It's in my top yeah. ten games of all time. I think it is a masterpiece. I, I don't throw that word around lightly. I think it is an absolute masterpiece, and I do not, in any way, shape, or form, turn my nose up or look down upon Railways of the World. I think Railways of the World is a, a spiritual successor to Age of Steam. Mm-hmm. I think it is a great, great game, and for people that don't want a game to be quite so punch you in the nose and yet still be very tough and very challenging in a in, in a different in almost the same ways almost the same the decisions yeah. are still the decisions on how you build your track and when you move stuff and when yeah. to upgrade your locomotive are all still there yeah exactly right i think i think it is a great game i i would never turn down a game of railways yeah. of the world the only time i would even consider turning it down is if it was a choice between that or age of steam just because me personally Personally, um, I prefer the granddaddy. I prefer the yeah, the, the, of course. that game. I just think that that if if I had to compare the two, the only real difference is that it's it's just a slight slightly deeper pool. And I, and by slightly, I mean I, mm-hmm. I mean yeah. a foot or two deeper is all it really is. Yeah. And the fact that there are so many more maps with so many different rule sets that play so differently. Yeah. It just, it's a game system more than a game, as Dimitri said. I really do think that that is true. And, and, and on top of that, um, pretty much everything that's in Age of Steam is in Rail is the World. Mm-hmm. It's just been kind of remixed a little bit. In a, and, and just by doing that remix, it, has, it just creates a more accessible thing. And the last thing I'm going to say about Rail is the World, I mean, uh, last thing I think, who knows? I'll probably say five more points. But the <laughs> one thing that I got out of that I get out of Railways of the World that, admittedly, I've only played Age of Steam not a lot, so I, I'm not gonna say it's not an Age of Steam. But mm-hmm. one thing that I got from the very first play of Railways of the World, and I always get, is I kind of get a little bit more of a epic feeling when I play the game. I kind of, you know, the art is better, and um, it, there's something about it where I feel like. When it's over, I sit and look at it like, wow, look at that. And like, and I also, sometimes I feel like, like, I don't know, there's a vibe where I'm a little bit more immersed thematically in it Mm. that um, I think is really special. It might be the, it might be the art. It might be the fact that you can come up for air a little bit long enough to enjoy the theme and not just, not just try Mm -hmm. to not be in survival mode. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about the art really quick. The 2019 design was by Ian O'Toole. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But for some reason, I prefer the original art, which is much more really? much more basic, but much more colorful. Maybe that's what it is. There's a, there's a certain spare monochromatic thing to Ian O'Toole's d- design. Listen, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. I, I, I open that box up and it looks like a work of art, but for some reason, I, I kind of prefer the original. It might just be that I've lived with it for so long and it, and it brings up so many warm memories. Um, but it is it is gorgeous. The new box that's is, an, is beautiful. That's and, an important point, though. Yeah, and, oh. and it comes with and the, that ultimately sometimes you can't separate your you can't separate yourself from the experiences you've had with the game. And so here I'm talking about Rail is the World. I'm like I have more fun with Rail is the World, but how can I ever divorce myself of all the amazing fun times I've had with groups of people from two to six people over mm-hmm. the years? And it, like that's like ingrained in my heart. And so, like, sometimes you just can't divorce yourself much. Like, you look at this new art that is, like, on paper, literally on paper is better art. But, like, you can't, 
you have such fondness from that old crappy art, <laughs> you know? So it reminds you of like, it gives you memories. Well, listen, guys, we have to move on because we have a Dimitri segment coming up, and those take a while, and we are running long. But uh, listen, that is Age of Steam. Uh, as you can hear from our very deep discussion, um, this is a, this is a game brain favorite. We are big, big into it, and uh, whether we whether we end up not liking it like Dimitri, or we're new to it like Ben, or we are an absolute uh, diehard Steamhead like myself, uh, it is a game that will give you a very strong opinion. I'll add that Trey and Paul uh, think that Age of Steam is the best uh, tabletop simulator simulator application. There you go. Wow. There you go. That is Age of Steam. And now we're going to talk about evangelizing. Preach, brother. Brother Dimitri. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody. So, uh I look at how I became interested in anything uh, that I like to consume in culture, books, movies, music, theater. And it's always been a combination of people, like my grandmother taking me to every movie in Kiev, uh, and booksellers um, in LA that I befriended, like Sherry and Lydia and Arthur, who owned uh, Dangerous Visions and Change of Hobbit, uh, and authors I met at conventions, uh, and the music, classical music enthusiast uh, where I worked uh, as an intern who told me I had to listen to Grosse Fuga by Beethoven, and I went out and bought it on CD and bought a CD player to listen to it. And critics, movie critics like Kenneth Turan and Mike Davis and Michael Ventura and Steve Erickson, who were real writers and real authors who happened to write movie reviews in the LA Weekly that I would read as a teenager and become excited about movies from filmmakers I've never heard of and say, Mom, Dad, we have to go see Road, Run Road Warrior. It's a great movie. Um, th when I started buying books, when I started for myself, when I started watching movies for myself, when I started buying CDs to listen to music, I read reviews. I read thick books of reviews. I read reviews in free newspapers um, to help me make my decisions, to help me curate the, cho the choices that I was going to make in my cultural consumption. Uh, when I uh, went to the theater for the first time, when I went to classical concerts for the first time, I read Broadway reviews in the New York Times. I read music reviews of operas and symphonies uh, in the newspapers. I had to make my first choice. I bought my first movie ticket to Trading Places based on a movie review. Uh, I bought my first ticket to a Broadway play based on a play review, based on a theater review, by critics who were addressing me in part they were addressing someone who's never been to a Broadway play, who's never paid for a movie, who maybe never read an unassigned book, and found a way to communicate their excitement about movies, their excitement about theater, their excitement about books, their excitement about classical music, all these kind of difficult topics, all these things for 
rather refined tastes. Um, to someone with just a curiosity and a general interest, to reel them in, they were great evangelizers. Most reviews of games are for fans. If I don't know much about games, if I don't know about the major mechanisms, uh, if I listen to a typical review of a game, I'm not going to get anything out of it. Uh, and uh, because it's not addressed to a person with just a passing interest. And it doesn't really communicate the excitement of what playing a game is like. Can and you, can we you need tell that. me? I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you tell me what reviews you're talking about? Are you talking about like a, a Rado video showing how to play a game? Or, you, or what, what reviews? Are you talking about? I'm not going to... Okay, so for me, when I listen to a review, I'm an expert. I've been playing games for 15 years. Uh, and I know what people are talking about. But when I put myself into the boots, even of some of the reviews we do on our own podcast, when I put myself into the boots of someone who's new to the hobby, or maybe a book reader, mm. or a theater goer, uh, or a classical music aficionado, or someone who goes to museums. Um, I was describing uh, to uh, an NPR producer uh, what, like, who are board game players. And I said, well, the same people who buy hardcover books. And that makes sense. People with disposable income. Are you income, talking about Kristen? Sure. Okay. People with disposable income, people with time, people interested in culture people interested in intellectual pursuits. Um, why haven't we, or rather to put it in a positive way, we have to develop a language that would communicate the excitement of playing a game to someone who's never played a game before. We have to figure out how to describe the specific excellences of a particular game to someone who is not a fan already. Because the only way to get anyone to go to a concert or to go to a movie is to say, Road Warrior is the greatest action movie ever made and that's why action movies are amazing. And you should go and buy your first ticket to that movie. You should go and buy your first Broadway ticket to that play because it is an amazing musical. Not only are musicals amazing, but this particular musical is amazing for these reasons. Um, and I myself don't have the language to do that. Hmm. You know, and I well, haven't I, I think, heard the language I, to do yeah. that. I think what's hard is that games, can, uh, a lot of games, especially the ones that we talk about, are very complicated. And um, and there's always, it's never quite clear what is the purpose of a game review sometimes. I think, is, is it to say, this is how a game plays, and me telling you how the game plays will let you know if this is something that sounds fun for you, or is this... Or is, or do you just not really care about the rules? You just want to hear my opinions on it. And I think a lot, sometimes it's unclear what people want out of those situations. I mean, ideally you want both. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing that drives me nuts is when you when I watch a video on Board Game Geek or something like that, like a review, and you sit through 18 minutes of rules explanations, which you mostly fast forward, and then you get about 
45 seconds of. So yeah, I really enjoyed this game. I think this is really fun. And I think that if you uh, are the sort of person that really enjoys like this sort of style of game, then you'd love it. I'm like, well, why did I just sit through 20 minutes of that? You know? Um, yeah. So I, I think reviews are oftentimes, there's not a lot of uniformity in the art of a game review at the moment. Yeah. Here's, here's where the difference is. In order to uh, watch a movie or a play or a musical or an opera, you need to buy a ticket and sit in a seat. You are a passive consumer of it. You are not a passive consumer of games. In order to play games, you have to learn. You have to work. You have to do things. It is a radically different medium. And because of that, a review cannot just be a go check this out. It can't be that. It needs to be an explanation to some degree. It needs to be a description. It needs to lay out the experience that you are going to be working at. And it is work. Yeah. The, the, the Stanford uh, Behavioral Lab has done some amazing work in determining what we what goes into behavior what are the components that go into behavior if you want to get somebody to do a what are the things that go into that decision and they came up with three things that are what what need to happen that trigger it motivation ability and a prompt right you need motivation to do this if you're changing a habit like if you want to wake up earlier in the morning to get and get to the gym right you need motivation to do that now most people focus on the motivation but actually motivation is the slipperiest of those three things right it's the one that will wax and wane and is unpredictable and, and hard to do reviews are all about motivation Reviews are all, everything you described, Dimitri, when you were telling a very eloquent story of, of how you got excited about things is exactly about that, about getting excited about things. Reviewers can give you a motivation to get up off your couch, to go to a theater, to pay your hard-earned money. If it's a play, if it's a Broadway play, to pay a lot of money, right? Almost as much as it costs to buy a copy of Food Chain Magnet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which by but the you way, know, it's also Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say if if you look all, in all of Dimitri's examples though, he was consuming art basically, you know? And if you look at sports, professional sports, um there is discussion if you were to tune in to any of the like around the horn or whatever on on ESPN, they are not making they are not talking as if uh their audience are people who've never watched sports before they are talking high level uh you know mm -hmm. you know uh, about sports yep. if they're talking about football they're saying things like you know they could be saying things like zone defense so they could talk about this should be a man-on-man -man play or whatever and um they are not concerned with getting new people in and you know with games are games art or are they sport right because if, if it's art you want to tell people, hey, this is an experience that's worth having, and this is my feeling about it. Is it worth spending the money to have this experience? Whereas sport, sport is sort of not like that. And in terms of like evangelizing people into sport, it, I, I don't even know how that happens. Is that just a cultural FOMO? Like if you're not watching the Super Bowl, you're missing out or something. But um, mm -hmm. uh, so it also just goes to show that you don't always have to talk to the audiences if they don't know any, anything about the, by what you're talking about to evangelize because sports can do that without a problem. Yeah, I, 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 think that's, I, I think that's right. I think that we are not mass market. 
um, one of the kind of beautiful things about our hobby is that our hobby is small. It's growing, and I'm super glad it's growing. We want the hobby to grow where, you know, I think we all got together and created this podcast in order for it to grow. Um, but it's not as easy as simple motivation. It's not as simple as just a review. The ability portion of that of those three things uh, that that, uh, that behavioral researchers are, are finding out, the ability part of it, in order to the ability for going to a movie is getting up and going to a movie and paying the money and finding the time. That's what it is. If it's on Netflix, hey, the ability became so much easier. It is so much easier to get that person, to motivate that person to do that because the ability portion of it has become so easy. But any game, the easiest game in the world, doesn't just require a person to own the game, to get together with people in order to play it, to find out the time, all of the things that are the same as watching a movie or watching a play. But in addition to that, it is sitting down for a rules explanation and learning a game and the fear of, of looking stupid or not figuring it out. And especially for people that don't have an experience in these games, these games can be quite daunting and the ability hurdle for them is huge, which is why game reviews have to be not just motivation, but they also have to be a bit of explanation. I completely agree you know, with both yes, of you. Uh, and I have a few recommendations that go to Ben and Tom, exactly what you're talking about. Hit it. Uh, one is that uh, game companies have to donate copies of games to school libraries and to public libraries mm. for people to check out and to play them. Because, uh, Ben, you say, how do people get socialized into sports? By participating in sports in high school, by actually playing mm -hmm. basketball, by actually playing baseball, by actually playing football. This is a great way to get kids socialized into understanding right. uh, what games are. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about rules, Tom, the, the half hour of rules explanation. Rules, in my opinion should be written not by game designers, but by professional writers, by technical writers who know how to explain rules to people. Game designers are not necessarily the best people to do that. No, they appear to be the same people that do the IKEA description. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that paying a couple of thousand, and of course, I'm a writer, Tom, you're a writer, Ben, you're a writer, Almost all of us on the podcast are writers, uh, and it's very self-serving for me to say, hire a writer, we're the best. <laughs> but hire a writer, we're the best at this. Um, I've never seen, uh, Matt talks about reading rule books with pleasure, but mm. Matt also has a degree in Russian literature. So <laughs> in these big, thick, long books by Dostoevsky that are not quite as impenetrable as a Pax rule book, but almost, well, right? let's recognize that, that rules have gotten so much better. I mean, we have gone from the Avalon Hill yeah. rule books of the 1980s, which are, oh my God, they do, they do not appear to be written by people who have ever spoken English. They are written by engineers, for engineers, and are impenetrable to, to the layman, to nowadays where... I would say the majority of rule books are fairly well written. 
and but they're not fun and interesting and exciting in and of themselves like they could be if a mm. professional writer did it i mean and, i think okay. i think that makes i think i think the rule book having a good rule book definitely makes gaming more accessible i don't know if it's going to evangelize people personally uh, i look at video games because video games have what tom was talking about before in terms of you know you know theater movies whatever those are all passive experiences but video games are not yeah. and video games are able to evangelize because I think that one thing that's happened with the video game industry that I don't really think has really happened with the board game industry, and I am putting a huge asterisk on this because I know I'm not involved really deeply in the board game industry itself, but um, I feel like the video game industry has sort of matured and formalized and uh, and in a way that movies and TV and sports and theater and books and publishing all have many years ago. And board games really haven't, if you ask me. I think, you know, when Tapestry came out uh, last year, Jamie Stegmeier released that, uh, I think it was on his newsletter, or made an announcement, hey, on this date, this game is being launched. There'll be a, there'll be a pre-sale, and then after that, it's going to be launching, and then this, that. And there was like a clear timeline, and there was a clear date, and he was able to build publicity around having set dates. Like, this is the day that this game is coming out. And honestly, and it, and it was a huge success. Mm-hmm. And if you look at other games, because of the way the industry is, you know, they come out sort of in these drips and drabs and, you know, like, oh, there's this game. Oh, it was at Essen. There's a few games that came out in Essen. Oh, and then it's here. Um, and when's it going to be stateside? I don't know. Oh, look, cool stuff has it for pre-order. Oh, it's here. It's like this. It kind of like, kind of just sort of like, they just sort of like flow in from the sea, right? And yeah. um, like, that's how the board game industry works. But if you have something, if you have a company that says, okay, we, we previewed this game at Edison, we are launching it worldwide um, on October 3rd or whenever the date is, and you can then build in marketing campaigns and uh, PR, and you get, then you can, from that, you start to get articles, you start to get publicity, publicity starts to stoke interest. Um, uh, you get like several reviews coming out all at once. These are ways that you get people interested in the hobby. The difficulty, though, of course, is that we're talking about a physical deliverable with an international supply chain versus a digital deliverable, which you can you can name day and date on those things. You can name day and date on movies. You can name day and date on video games, on board games. Listen, you and I, we we, are, we have many Kickstarters, and we're like, when is it coming in? Well, it could yeah. be now. It could be in six weeks. Oh, it got held up in customs. It's going to be 12 weeks from now. But, but Tom, Jennifer... The books, books Jennifer, though, books were not, you know, books were are, are continue to be physical, and video games until yeah, but they're not, recently but the, were pretty much all physical. True, but they don't have international supply chains. Uh, books Tom, are books Tom, are pub, books are printed in the countries it, that they're made. It's not just the supply chain. It's the organization and it's an active and proactive going after new customers. Jennifer was talking about how video games mm. on this podcast a few episodes ago, Jennifer was talking about how video games actively sought out marginalized people as customers. Yes. Why don't board games do that? Well, it's a matter we're not about just of physical supply chain. It's a matter of a mindset that turns someone like me into an, in an inadvertent gamekeeper. And I hate to be an inadvertent gamekeeper. You mean gate, gatekeeper? 
thank you so much, a gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. Because I will drag anybody to a Tarkovsky movie. I will drag anybody to Children of Paradise, a three and a half hour black and white movie with subtitles in French. I will, I will buy a thousand page book for somebody um, that that that's very difficult to read. And I, those I are, still use that as a doorstop. Sure, it is sure. A, thank it you, Tom. Is great. <laughs> and, and here's the thing: you say that watching a movie or listening to a concert or seeing an opera or reading a book uh, or even going to a meal that's challenging at, at some fancy place or at some really difficult place. Do I have to learn how to chew in a different way? Sure, you do. No, if you're I going don't. to vespertine, no, but I in don't. any case. These are passive experiences, but they're still difficult experiences. They're still experiences that require attention and patience and analysis and an active intellectual engagement. And all these reviewers and critics in these fields have found a way to balance, a way to discuss these works in a way that presents their complexity to the audience and also encourages them to attend. And I want to see a board game review column in the New York Times that would be a pleasure to read for any reader and get them to... Pace Magazine has one. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that, Ben. Uh, well, actually, this is sort of funny. It's not... not, uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's a regular one. But the the guy who writes it, I'm blanking on his name, but he is a baseball guy. He actually is a baseball commentator or baseball writer, but he also loves board games and he writes, you know, articles in Paste Magazine. Um, and I think um, I think your point that I think your point about there it would be wonderful if there were standing columns in places like the New York Times is a great one. And by the way, everything we're saying is with the asterisk of. Um, for those who believe that the that board gaming should be evangelized, because there are a lot of people who feel like we like it the way it is. We like that we're this quirky community that is very niche, and we don't need want need it to be in everyone. But for I think all of us though, we love bringing more people into it because that means there's more people to play with. Oh yeah. And so, um, I uh, I my, I love the idea of really more of a formal approach to board game criticism because right now. Um, you can go out, you can listen to podcasts, which are great. You know, a lot of people have made videos, but if you want to go like read, read some reviews, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like the wild west out there. You know, there's some sites, I, I, there's a site I enjoy called, um, I slay the Um, there's shut up and sit down, but ultimately when you go to a lot of these sites, it kind of looks like you're going to a blog, right? And if you go, even if you go to BGG, which is like ground zero for board gaming, this is like where I go to 50 million times a day. It's where I get so much of my content. But if you really think about it, if you're a new person, if you're like, Oh, I hear that board gaming is a thing now. And you go to BGG and you look at that site, it kind of looks like a giant, like, like internet forums. And you, there was a lot of stigma around internet forums. People think about trolls. They think about like sort of nerdy, like whatever internet culture. And some people may just go there and just be kind of turned off. And so, um, and it's also like a lot of information just like right in your eyes, right at once. Mm. So I think it'd be great if we had, you know, people who had like, who, if we had something that had sort of the, uh, the, the polish of like a New York Times article or, or, or a Rolling Stone or something like that. I think that'd be wonderful. I agree. Uh, listen, I want to be clear. Uh, I was talking about the, 
when when I said the international supply chain and all that sort of stuff, I'm talking specifically about why the anticipated release of a game yes, yes. is different than than anything else. Sure. That said, the and other that's thing, why I said I don't know the industry. That's why I'm like sure. I, I feel like there's reasons why it's like that, yeah. but I don't know the reasons. Yeah, it, it, it's it's because the yeah it, it's because there there are too many variables in in that particular equation. Um, that in order for it to work, it'd have to be like an iPhone launch where they have the iPhones in stock for a, for a while, and then today is the day we're going to release them. But the reality is, is that uh, we're we are we have a Kickstarter model for the most part in the in our hobby, and people don't want to wait. People have been waiting a long time already, um, but. But what we were talking about in that comment, you were talking about how video games have a learning mode where you're learning the game as you go. And yeah. we do have that in board games. There, most board games have the easy version and then the, the complete version, right? And you learn the easy version first. Tends to be the easy version, though you still have to spend a lot of time learning most of the rules before you get to it. And we just skip it. We just go right to the to, to the full board. But I will say that that both in terms of the rule book design and in terms of that learning mode, there is one designer I can think of that does an amazing job of that in our hobby. And that's Vlada Chavadl. Uh Vlada Chavadl did uh, did games like uh, well, first of all, code names and all that sort of stuff. But also, he did Space Alert, and he did Dungeon Lords and Dungeon Pets, and those are rule books which you, Dimitri, would love to read. They are fun. They are fun to read. They are humorous. Every other line, you're laughing because they're written narratively. They're oh, that's great. And Dungeon Lords, in particular, I think may be the best because not only. Is it written that way? But it's like, for instance, it's one of those games where you're placing workers, and there are three spaces or four spaces on each in each section of the yeah. board. You want to about unforgiving? Yeah, yeah. It, you and the first <laughs> space. Can. The first space gives a little bit. The second space gives a lot. The third space gives a bad thing, right? And it's that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, I remember that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I played that game. And the rule book is hilarious because it's explaining why the first person in, you know, the first goblin in got this much stuff. The second one, he dug down to the good stuff. And, and the third one, it was all empty or whatever. And they had wonderful, hilarious explanations. But not only that, it has a training mode, just like in a video game, where it go walks you through a super short scenario for each for each uh, player to play a super mini puzzle that is going to explain how all the systems of a fairly complex game work and do it in a wonderful way. And it is a joy to read. So is Space Alert. Hilarious, fun as heck, really a joy to read. I encourage game designers out there to look at the work of Vlada Javadl and listen, your games may not be humorous. His games are humorous, so it's a little bit easier to do that. But I do think that there's a lot more, and, and technical writers or just writer-writers need to spend well, more time. All writers are technical it's almost writers. Like the, it's and almost like the board game industry is... I'm not. Uh, donating copies yeah, to get to to city and school libraries, I think, is is crucial. I think what is happening where Asmodee is is pulling back things from Tabletop Simulator, 
is as ridiculous as saying that it's almost like tabletop simulator saying, you know, we have to go to these game groups that are playing our game because only one person bought that game and we need to stop the other people that haven't bought that game from playing that game. It's, it's absolutely regressive and ridiculous. And, and ultimately probably the best way to evangelize is you bring the games to where the people are. Okay. You don't try to make the people come to where you are. And so if that means having a column, getting a column in the New York times yep. where people are, are reading, you know, if that means bringing a game, having the game at school where there are kids who might want to, to might want to be playing it after school. I mean, that, that's how you do it. Um, uh, and then you, then ideally you then start to get a critical mass where then you don't, you, you don't have to, the, the industry doesn't have to evangelize as much anymore because it's just like, if you don't know about it, if you're not participating, you're kind of missing out. Right. This is so, the one um, time I'll say it. It worked in Germany. Wow. Wow. It can work in the United States. Wow. One time, I will say. <laughs> like, I agree. <laughs> because the Germans. Take off. It took off very well in Berlin. And now look, you can get it all want. across the world. The trains ran on time. No, no, that's Italy, Tom. Unbelievable. That's Mussolini. Unbelievable. Not German. All right. That is all the time we have. We're not going to have time for a game sommelier because we are super long right now. Guys, thank you so much. I love you both individually and collectively. I, I thought we had a really great conversation about both Age of Steam and about evangelizing games. Uh, Dimitri, I always want to thank you for the amount of uh, a thought that you put into every episode that you're on. You are a joy. I will go and sleep now, Ben. Thank you so much for uh, coming. Uh, and thank you so much for learning Age of Steam. Uh, and uh, you actually knew more about my topic, I feel, than I did. <laughs> so that's okay. thank you for listen, joining no, I, listen, us. I, there's one thing that I know a lot about, and that's just talking about anything, even if I don't really know much about it. Okay, so <laughs> that's my thing. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Folks, you can Thanks for inviting uh, me on. Folks, you can watch uh, videos of us, including videos where you see our beautiful faces on YouTube.com forward slash C Which forward slash faces? Game Brain Pod. Well, most, what beautiful faces? Mostly Jesse. Uh, <laughs> we also have a Facebook group. We have a Discord channel, and please get in more of those board game sommelier questions. We're starting to build up some, but we could always use more. And you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks as always to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com and check out his new album that just dropped. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. And thanks for listening. And go play some games with friends or virtually make some friends with games.